Welcome to the New Disc Colony Podcast. The no tea, low tea, uh, get got some piss in the condom time. It's me. I'm I'm your I'm your co-host Ross. <laughs> I'm always curious as to what you're going to come up with. Uh, if, I wish people could see. I wish this was like a visual <laughs> podcast, or we were doing this live, or whatever. Uh, just to see your eyes like panicked, Dark like around. darting back and forth. As if you're trying to get away with something. Uh, uh, that was a good one. Piss is my go-to in most most things in life. Piss in a condom. Piss in a condom. You never know when you're going to need it. No. Evidently. No. I've never needed it, but I have uh, told people I would step up to provide that for them. Yes. Um, yeah. so, side tangent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even though we have not even started the podcast hardly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking of this the other day. Uh, didn't you fuck up the plumbing in your old house from flushing a condom on the toilet? Hi, I'm Brent. Uh, I'm the the co-host of this podcast. Uh, I didn't fuck up the plumbing. I can okay. Let's just get into it. Yeah. So when I was a child, I was right. like uh, maybe thirteen, fourteen, or whatever. I found my stepdad's condoms. Okay. And it was during summer break. Well, he so, was wearing them. Yeah, I was like, "Are you using the? Oh, you're using this right now." <laughs> Problematic. Uh, I'm waiting to be canceled over that. Like, I'm the one that gets canceled. But uh, so I I found uh, his, his condoms, and it was like during summer break. So right. my, my stepdad and my mother, they were both at work, and I just like had the run of the house sure. myself. And by house, I mean trailer. Single, yeah. single wide trailer. Not to brag, but I've lived in a few trailers in my life. Anyway. Sing it, Prince. Yeah. So I, I found one. I was like, I wonder what this is. And this was like... Kind of before I figured out masturbating or whatever, but I I knew what right. it was for. I wanted to put it on, so I didn't <laughs> even try it. On. I just I was trying it. On. I was like, oh yeah, this is this doesn't fit. Honestly, <laughs> they still don't. You know, <laughs> I have to I have to order Pee Wee condoms by the barrel, and you know because of like the whole uh, shipping issue, it's just like way too expensive. Oh, right. You know, yeah. yeah so of course. I'm just holding off. Abstinence is a cure. Um, I anyway. use balloons from the dollar store. With the with the uh, powder on them. Oh yes, yeah, exactly. It's real you know? good. Yeah, for a vagina. My, my wife comes home and she sees powder all over my face. She's like, "Oh, do you have donuts again?" I was like, "Uh, yeah, yeah." So uh, anyway, I, I I just want to try the condom on. I was like, "Oh, okay." So this is what it is. All right, it's probably better with a fresh sniz, but you know, it is what it is <laughs> at this point. So I just like took it off. I was like, "Ah, oh, fuck." I didn't think it's like, you know when you're a child you don't think it's far ahead. Right. Kind of follows this into. Our current lives as well. <laughs> yeah. I don't always think forward, but um, shame I, and embarrassment of in course. all walks of I, our lifetime. I've got myself into a situation at this point, so I'm like, I'll just flush this down the toilet. Yeah. So, turns out the the plumbing in this particular single wide trailer <laughs> wasn't great. So later that evening, my uh, my parents were like in like in there doing something, like maybe like tossing out the trash or whatever. Yeah. And they were like, uh, "What is this?" And <laughs> oh, they saw this like. Un- unfurled condom just like floating on the top of the toilet water or whatever so uh my mom was like did you do this i was like no <laughs> the, the only person yeah no, i don't know what. 
So he, clearly, the only solution is Jesus came back, <laughs> jacked off in this condom, and then like threw it in the, the toilet. But um, yeah, so... So it just floated at the top. It just floated in the okay. top. It, yeah. it, it did not flush. And that's how I learned that lesson very early on in my life. To not flush life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You would think it'd be okay to flush. You would think, you know? Yeah, especially a teenage boy. But they say that the the... Those like wipes, the wet wipes or whatever, you can't oh. flush those either. Yeah. Or whatever. So it's they like. They say flushable, but don't flush them. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> I fucked up my old works plumbing. And I never told my boss that I was using those flushable <laughs> wipes. He was like, why does the plumbing keep getting fucked up around here? We kept having it. And then finally, some guy was like, I found a huge clump of like flushable wipes like clogged in like the main line going out of this like multi-business like uh, uh, shopping center kind of kind of thing. And uh, so 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 I could be like, man, it must have been somebody from one of these other businesses doing that. Definitely not me. (laughs) One of your coworkers is like, oh, shit, there's a bunch of cum in it as well. yeah yeah no so i would i would highly recommend everybody so don't flush them but Mm -hmm. those flushable wipes oh my god Mm -hmm. you don't have to use wipes you're flushable you can just use whatever wipes yeah but i keep those because i I work from home now so i don't give a fuck yeah um but uh those things oh my god i need to get a bidet because (gasps) i was just talking about this yeah butthole feels like i'm an adult Uh uh-huh right yeah (laughs) <laughs> shit running out of my ass when i was a kid <laughs> uh no but it's like uh do that and i keep little i keep flushable wipes mm-hmm. or wipes i keep saying flushable wipes and then uh, some baby powder uh next to the toilet mm. and uh, it leaves me feeling fresh as fuck all day long mm. and uh highly recommend it to everyone interesting i've not yeah. thought of this as an adult no, you yeah. make your wife change you is that correct yes okay yeah I she so. does she does the dighty uh-huh yeah <laughs> Dirty dighty. Uh-huh. Um, I have to come and wake her up. Uh, <laughs> we actually sleep in separate rooms. Everyone thinks that's crazy. We sleep in separate rooms. Well, um, but we have a hard time. We have two cats. Oh, this is real. Okay. Yes. No, oh, we okay. really do sleep <laughs> in separate rooms. Yes, that's yeah. true. I mean, not always. We we sleep together a lot. Yeah. Um, but we do, we do have uh, we we do have beds in in two separate rooms and mm-hmm. so but she because she goes to bed like two hours before I do, mm-hmm. um and then she wakes up way before I do because I'm from home so I don't give a I wake up at like fifteen minutes till it's time to like, go to work <laughs> yeah. literally yeah uh and uh so yeah yeah so uh uh what was I talking about we we sleep in separate rooms yeah and, uh, you have cats we have cats yeah. yeah so we can't sleep in the same bed because the cats don't get along. fight each other but yeah. want to sleep with us so it's like. And these were cats that you brought into your relationship and later your yes. marriage. Yes, and so my cat is approaching 20. Oh, um, yeah. I've had her since literally I was in college. Um, That's right, yeah. Yeah, uh, so she's 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 getting up there. She's really starting to have some problems. Uh, yeah. She's having some neurological things. I think she's pretty much deaf at this point. Mm. Uh, she sleeps like <laughs> 20 hours out of the 24-hour day. Yeah um but she's my baby i love her yeah and i'm gonna be sad when she dies and but i've kind of prepared myself for it because like to make it to 20 is uh an impressive thing outstanding yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. my wife and i we both had cats uh and the last one passed away in like september of 2020 so uh yeah she got the coronavirus and we told her to get inoculated and she was like no it doesn't exist (laughs) at this point uh but also i won't do it she's a cats apparently can get the coronavirus Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. There were some tigers that got it. Oh, fuck. I know. They survived. 
Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a real tragedy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's something about like animals that's true. just like, you know, if you're an animal lover, then it's just like, uh, you, I, I can't watch like any, well, I have a hard time uh, watching media or absorbing media that's like where something bad happens to an animal, you know? Oh, yeah. Which I guess is why they had that website, does the dog die or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you can go into it and be like, oh, you know, thing happens. But right. honestly, like, anytime I see a movie that comes out where a dog is the, like, central character of a movie, I'm like, oh, that dog's, that dog's a goner, you know? Oh, right. He's not going to survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's tough. I can, I can deal with, like, an animal death, but if there's any kind of suffering... That's when I'm like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do the suffering part. Yeah. Kill him. Yeah. Fuck. Whatever. <laughs> that part you love. My, I remember as a kid, cause we grew up in the country. And so you hit animals in your car just on purpose. Oh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, no, like animals run out. Like when you're out there, like rabbits and squirrels, it happens. So I remember like my mom was a huge animal lover. She's a big like environmentalist person. Mm-hmm. She's, she's very big on like conservation and, and animal animal rights and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh but you hit you, you're gonna hit something mm-hmm. and i remember like she'd like hit like a squirrel or something and she'd be like okay but like but the squirrel would still be alive you mm-hmm. know like thrashing around and she'd like make us all like put our heads down and like cover our ears and she'd like back up over it yeah that's rough but, yeah, like, but she'd be like crying she would be like yeah like brought to tears but like you can't just let it suffer like it's better to just yeah do it and get it over with uh, you're doing a favor for the animal at yeah. that point. Okay, so. so so far we've talked about condoms and dead animals. What do you want to talk about at the top of the show? <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is a new metal podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I, I was just going to say that uh, as it pertains to listening to music, yeah. uh, here recently I've been listening to uh, one of my wife's running friends. Had uh, We were like hanging out. And he had mentioned that he had Sirius Radio, which I have as well. And he had mentioned the Faction Station, which is like 314 or whatever. I'll look at it real quick. Um, but it's a uh, like a punk station. Okay. I was like, oh, shit. I didn't realize it was that far. Uh, yeah, 314, Faction Punk. And uh, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I haven't listened to like punk in a while. And it he made it seem like it was eclectic you know like a, a mixture of, of punk he said uh right. has like black flag and like blink 182 and this type of stuff so Real i checked punk. it out and that's primarily what i've been listening to for the past oh, like wow. couple of weeks i've so never I'm, pegged you for a punk guy me neither yeah but it's like uh there it's something about like uh the nostalgia of what we grew up with and that general yeah. aesthetic you know but also being able to simultaneously go back further and listen to some older punk yeah and then some like newer stuff like there's this band called the linda lindas that has this new song that i can't think of because i'm a couple of uh, hard mountain dudes in at this point <laughs> but uh it, it it's just like kind of reawakened this type of nostalgia for me that uh oh, I didn't realize I had. And like, they play some like deeper cuts from like some 41 who is a band I, I liked back in the day, but like they're a legitimate, like really good, like pop punk band. And yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Like I'm just, I'm just wildly impressed with this station and yeah. it's, it kind of fits. Does it ever play bad brains? I really, I really dig bad brains. I got into them pretty heavy. Not yet. I, I've been waiting for that. Yeah. Um, there's a, like a Lincoln parks, uh, song called, um, something again that I, I can't, <laughs> form these these thoughts at the, at the moment this mountain dew uh hard mountain dew shit is like pretty yeah, good like it, it's job. Over yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> uh 
Um, but uh, but like, yeah, man, like it's uh, it's good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Ringing going well. endorsement. It's going well. We've talked about doing a uh, uh, sort of like, what are we listening to now? Yeah. So bringing in like uh, stuff that we're just currently into, just kind of maybe doing a little segment. Um, so if you're out there listening and you want to hear that, hashtag, hashtag do it. And we'll tally the votes and we'll see next week what we do. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not going to do any of that. No. And you're not going to, no one's going to write us back because no one listens. But yeah. <laughs> Well, this is like the safe space, right? This is sure. the cone of silence. Yeah, exactly. So just say anything we want to. Yeah. Honestly, literally whatever screaming we want. Screaming into a void. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, speaking of screaming into the void, Ross, here, here this is a monumental episode, which is why I'm Huge. drinking on the show. Oh, shit. And also just like out on of boredom. School night. I just want to try something different, you know? Yeah. Can I take this show as well? Mm, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not <laughs> only are we finally on our first double digit episode. D-D, so episode 10. Dudes. On our 10th band at this point as well. It's well, 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 we, yeah, the first episode was just the autopsy episode, but we doubled up later with uh, Cold Chamber and Power Man 5000. Sugar Ray, we did twice, but yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, not 10th band, 10th album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I fucked that up. Hell yeah, dude. Dude, he's twisted all this Mountain Dew right now. Dude, this fucking dark cherry, dude. (laughs) This dark cherry is fucking dark, dude. I had a water- watermelon before that. Watermelon. <laughs> Water. Watermelon, dude. You guys seem weirder than yelling. He's good. Um, but we're doing probably uh, the preeminent new metal band. Yes. I know people are going to say, oh, Korn was the first one. Or you, you, you can make an argument for Slipknot or uh, I, I guess some people would be like Papa Roach or Disturbed or something like that. But like, yeah, no. God, what are we doing? The distilled... Like if you took all of new metal and like boiled off the bullshit and mm-hmm. just had like pure the essence of new metal is I feel like this album like oh, uh, yeah. I guess significant other was 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 maybe more uh, uh, like like prominent in people's minds uh, of being like the apex the nadir of new metal but mm. to me it is this album oh yeah this is where like I was interested in this genre. I had heard, you know, some bands, but uh, it wasn't until I heard this that it was like, okay, this is now a thing. Like, this isn't just some like little kind of music that I'm into that like I kind of I'm I'm enjoying. This was like, whoa, hold yeah. on, mm-hmm. what is happening here? I've never heard anything like this before. Um, and also, so we've we've talked we've kind of talked about um, Edge Fest, which is a a, a local radio station uh, z104.5 the edge uh they would have a yearly uh, festival one day festival where they would have a number of bands come and uh it, it was a great day in the sun um so i looked up it was uh so it'd be september 7th 1997 mm, okay um i want to say that i've i had heard of limp biscuit before this mm-hmm. because do you have when the album came out <laughs> Let's Girl, you know I do. Uh, this album, $3 Bill, y'all, which is the main topic of today's episode by Limp Bizkit, is, uh, was released on July 1st of 1997, so just uh, a couple of months prior okay. to Edgefest. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that by this point I'd probably heard Faith, but it was like when I saw them play live, mm-hmm. like Fred was flipping people off. 
saying fuck you Mm -hmm. you motherfuckers i'm pretty sure you use some other f words that i'm not gonna say Mm -hmm. um it. oh okay farm to table yeah farm to table uh frankenfurter oh sure fafara uh but but he was just like he was like antagonistic with the with the crowd and usually most bands i'd seen were like hey we love you guys thanks for coming out you know Mm -hmm. like they weren't like actively being like fuck you guys you guys fucking suck but he's doing it like in fun like in jest you know? yeah and and everybody's screaming fuck you back but like having a great time yeah the, at the the time and like continuing forward but specifically during this era there were a lot of like uh grunge bands which that was kind of like phasing out there were a lot of uh just like general like rock bands or whatever um yeah but most of the time yeah you'd go see them and they would be like kind of an in uh rock and roll we love our audience mode or whatever but this was like you would have beach balls tossed around in the air and whatnot and like girls with their with their chichis out out. oh my god up on guys shoulders and like that's probably the first real tit in real life i ever saw (laughs) like i mean apart from my like my mother maybe hell yeah Uh, but i remember multiple women uh with their tits out i also remember women uh crowd surfing and then men grabbing their breasts yeah um and uh that was just like a thing that happened back then not not excusing it by any means it was fucking horrible and sexual assault in public and it was like almost expected yeah um but uh yeah that that was pretty mind-blowing for me as a i guess 14 14 14 years old (laughs) yeah 14 i was 14 yeah um and so that was this, this, this experience was like a, it was like a life changing event for me. Mm. Like it defined what my later part of my teens were going to be because up until this point, we, like, I think both of us pretty heavy mm. into like alternative music. Yeah. But I, like, I was still like trying to figure out what I liked at that point. Like yeah. there's a band called gravity kills that oh, fuck you yeah. and I both loved and they were more like a regional band or whatever. Yeah. So it was like, I, I like this a lot, but like, I don't, I don't really know where else to like, Put my interests right yeah 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 and yeah it uh when 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 did gravity kills when were we into that i guess we were, i think they, it was like 94 95 okay wow mm-hmm. yeah we were into that pretty young yeah yeah mm-hmm. they were they were good um <clears throat> just disappeared though uh yeah sadly mm-hmm. uh but i i did look up the lineup for this edge fest because it, i thought it was pretty interesting oh yeah what what I was just saying, yeah, like, who was it? I, oh, I, meant, okay, yeah, I, yeah. I meant to look it up, but... Uh, so, Faith No More, okay. um, who I was, like, into at the time, but I really didn't know a whole lot about, and it wasn't until uh, I was kind of, like, in into my, like, really, really late teens, early 20s, like, when I was in, like, college, that I really got super into Faith No More and all of Mike Patton's bazillion side projects. Oh, sure. Um, I wish I could go back and, like, maybe appreciate it more because I would actually know some of the songs, but back then, I think I only knew, like... Uh, just like the radio hit, um, let's epic. say what is the yeah yeah epic yeah mm. uh, okay so also there was artificial joy club which I barely remember I know the name yeah I was gonna say I'm about but, that but uh, I cannot tell you a song uh, Caroline Spine of course they are a uh, a local band yes. that m- made it like somewhat uh, big they had a, a song on. Uh, uh, that American Werewolf in London oh, soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. But it like, uh, they also had a, a, a song called Miss Sullivan that got some radio play. But I don't know if that was just like... Oh, Mrs. Sullivan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I don't know if that like made it outside of 
our, I our think region. I did a little bit. Yeah, because yeah. I remember them, like, they would pop up on, like, some, like, random ass, uh, used to buy a lot of soundtracks back yeah. in the day. Mm-hmm. I remember they'd, like, pop up, like, deep in a soundtrack mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're a local band. Um, from Tulsa. Yeah, they're from yeah. Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I dug them. I wasn't like a massive fan. Mm-hmm. We we had a mutual friend, Rachel. Yeah, she uh, was big into it. Shout out uh, uh, True Criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Rachel hosts sometimes, and she was she like knew the guys in the band. Like mm-hmm. she was like friends with them. I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, she got pregnant by all of them. Like yeah, sure. yeah, all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, who else we got? Uh, we got uh, the Groove Pilots. Who could forget? Um, she don't remember. I remember the name. I don't remember. I think they may have been local Groove Pilots, maybe. It sounds somewhat local. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. uh, Helmet was there. Oh, Helmet. Okay. Which I, at the time, knew a little bit about, but it was very impressive. Like, they were uh, uh, sort of a, almost like a industrial kind of like heavy metal-y kind of, people know Helmet. Yeah. Um, the Honey Rods. Nope. I don't know who that no is. No idea. Uh, naked. No. Uh, yeah, not 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 uh, super familiar with. It. Apparently, they're Finnish from Finland. When are they gonna start? Hey, when when's this Finnish man gonna start? <laughs> Our Lady Peace. Okay. Oh, you know what? Was I kind of missed them. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were, were Canadian. Canadian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice guys. Uh, Outhouse. Don't know. <laughs> uh, Real Big Fish. Oh, okay. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, Smash Mouth. Ooh! Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, might as well be walking on the sun. I I was I, like I was actually really big into Smash Mouth at this time. That first album was pretty good. I I borrowed it from either you or our mutual friend Adam. Probably me. And I remember liking it, but like, man, there's something about that uh, walking on the sun song. Yeah. I love that song. Unironically, I think it's a very fucking good song. Oh, absolutely. And if you if you listen to the lyrics, it's about like. People make fun of Smash Mouth because they're like oh, all star and you know whatever. Uh, but if you actually listen to the lyrics in that, they're like really uh, fucking good and like intelligent and like prescient. Like he's talking about how uh, basically all the like the hippie kids that were mm-hmm. supposed to be you know ushering this ushering in this you know wave of like peace and love and blah, 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 all turned into like you know yuppie cokehead eighties uh, pieces of shit that like uh, ended up. Uh, raping the world mm-hmm. uh and walking on the sun is about like climate change oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. so if you actually listen to the lyrics i don't know and it's a good song it's like a it's a very weird song mm-hmm. like uh because it's kind of got like a 60s like groove thing to it but yeah they they got lumped into like ska at the time yeah. but they're not really a ska band but they have that like, like almost feel. a lounge like, a little bit yeah, yeah they have like a organ uh like the the instrument the yeah. organ like plays a role in, in that song and i think maybe some of their other songs or yeah. whatever but um uh little known fact but the entire band of smash mouth eventually evolved into the human known as guy fieri whoa a lot of people don't know that <laughs> no, i didn't know that. take a trip Running to flavor town <laughs> donkey sauce <laughs> that's right uh also there was sugar ray Ooh, yeah pretty pretty crazy right Fuck it. and this was uh, uh, the last episode we did was Floored, right? So this is coming off of Floored. Right. So a lot of fucking bangers. Like, everything they probably played... Like, of course they played Fly. That was a huge radio hit. Oh, yeah. But, like, I'm sure they play, like, a bu- like Mean Machine, and they worked Breathe in there, and, like... I oh, mentioned God. this last episode, but I was like, I went to school the next day, and I was like, 
guys, uh-huh. Sugar Ray <laughs> is not what you think it is. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. they, uh, they're like heavy as fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because Fly was the only soft song they had. Everything else mm-hmm. was like just heavy, ramped up, fun, uh, good old rock and roll music, brother. Yeah. Um, also, uh, okay, Sh- Sugar Ray. Okay, so then uh, then the, the band that uh, is the center of today's episode, The Limp, B-I-Z-K-I-T was there and my goodness um life-changing for me um there's actually uh concert footage uh that you can find online the audio is terrible but it's like fun to watch it and i've i've, I've watched it a couple times trying to find myself out in the audience but oh, sure there's no way i'm ever going to ever going to find it um uh i also when i was there uh my first mosh pit oh okay um, yeah for, and so uh we went with our mutual friend adam and um, just to get people may not know what I look like. I am a tall, very skinny white man. I'm not as skinny as I used to be. You're not super white either. Uh, Give yeah, yourself some credit. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a olive, tall, lanky, especially at that age. I think I was mm-hmm. like Adam and I were the tallest kids in our class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we were both like German. <laughs> like, well, he's very may- white, maybe though. second. Uh, there was a, a another character. We would just go with named Alan. Okay, well, who was like this giant toe-headed fucking <laughs> kid? <laughs> it's like if if uh, milk could be whiter and then <laughs> a human. That's and what then he spoiled like. a little bit, a little, just a little, <laughs> just bit. a little just bit. A, where you like, I could drink this, but <laughs> just where you like taste the air a little bit. You're like, oh, Alan's here. Yeah. Oh man, that guy was great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we were Adam and I. We were just tall, lanky, mop-haired. Like we had long, shaggy hair, and we were uh, all knees and elbows and uh, zero muscle on us. And we decided to go get in the mosh pit when we were like 14 years mm-hmm. old, and got this shit kicked out of us. Uh, yeah, got my even. glasses knocked off and lost oh, the lens, right. and I was like panicking because I'm like, my mom's gonna fucking kill me, yeah. and I found it what? like really? like okay. i was in that i was in that mosh pit just like trying to space everyone back with no glasses so i can't see yeah and i'm like trying to find my this is during limp biscuit trying to find my fucking other lens to my glasses mm-hmm. and like it had like actually broken like the, the screw had popped out or something like so i was like literally walking around the rest of that concert with one lens in my glasses mm-hmm. um had the other one in my pocket got it got the glasses fixed so all, all, all good but yeah uh this was all during limp biscuit set and man uh, I remember it so fucking vividly. Did they close the the show? No, they were like midday. They weren't oh. anything at this point. Oh, who else was? Do you have the the rest of the list? That was it. That was that was the entirety. Who? Yeah, who closed? Um, I th- uh, like I remember like Helmet and Faith No More were like oh, that's towards right. the that would end. That's right. I forgot you said that. Yeah, yeah I think Faith No More was the headliner. I remember hearing about this on the radio like the next day that like. Faith No More didn't play Epic, which was like their, their right. like hugest hit. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we just didn't didn't feel like it. They were like one of those bands. Kind of like Nirvana stopped playing Smells Like Teen Spirit, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I did read that because uh, Limp Bizkit apparently went on or were, were like openers for uh, Faith No More uh, mm. during this time. Yeah. So that's probably why they were even included on the lineup was because they were just touring with faith. No oh, Mary. sure. And apparently, uh, like they didn't even, they didn't even meet, um, uh, Mike Patton. Oh, really? <laughs> like, Wes was like, I didn't meet. He's like, I was on tour for, with him for like months and didn't actually meet him until apparently it was the, the crowds didn't much appreciate the biscuit. 
Um, it's a wild to me. Uh, but they they did they did uh, some opening touring with uh, Primus, and apparently the Primus audience was like all all in on them. Well, yeah, because there's like a even though they don't sound similar, there's a similar vibe. Yeah, where it's just like, hey man, we're just here to have a good time, brother. Have you ever heard that? Uh, there's a Primus song that is actually produced by uh, Fred Durst. Uh, I had it's a long good. time ago. I've not it's actually I've really not really to good. It. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that whole album is is kind of. Uh, a weird one in Primus's repertoire. They've got a lot of, I think like each song is produced or like co-written by like another musician. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting, it's a, it's a definitely a standout. I wouldn't say, I'm not saying like good standout, but mm-hmm. like a oddball in there, yeah. which, <laughs> which is kind of hard with Primus because they're all fucking crazy, weird. There was a, I like a, Primus, a guy named Casey whom you and I worked at, uh, when we worked at Pizza Hut, okay. He, oh yes, yeah. He was like a big, like bald guy, and uh, but he was like a, a year or two older than us. He was a, a senior yeah. when you and I were sophomores, but we went to separate schools. Anyway, he was a massive Primus head. Yeah, <laughs> he was just like hugely into Primus, and he could just like rattle off lyrics for like deep cuts on yeah. any album or what, whatever. And I remember him uh, being like hesitant about a Fred Durst produced Primus song or whatever. <laughs> but then, but then he heard it. It's like, actually it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah. you know? High praise. Yeah. It's high praise. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I guess, I guess we could just start getting into getting into this. Do you want to, uh, is there anything else we need to cover at the top of, of, of the, I'm just excited to talk about Limbiscuit. So Me we're too. kind of all over the like, place. This honestly, episode. this entire podcast, the previous nine episodes has yeah. all been leading to this. We're like, quitting after this one. So, so the listeners know, uh, you and I had been talking about doing a, uh, a new metal podcast for yeah. a while, probably about a year ago, you and I yeah. via text had like been going back and forth and been like, Oh yeah, we should do this. And just kind of been like floated that idea out. You did. And, uh, it was kind of like in the back burner in our brains for a while or whatever. The, the main catalyst for us being like, okay, we should, we definitely need to get this together is that newest Limp Biscuit album that came yeah. out on Halloween day of 2021. And, it's just like, okay, we we need to do this. We honestly, we owe it to new metal to like give back to the yeah, cause. You know, I've done so much for our lives. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be who I was today, a, a sincere piece of shit, <laughs> without without new metal in my life. So um, honestly, like Limp Biscuit is like such a catalyst for uh, this the show. I would say, yeah, but also yeah. like to me <laughs> to get like artsy and fartsy about it. It's like. Limp Biscuit is like a, it's almost like a mindset, dude. Like it, it, it really is. It's like, it. I know this is gonna sound insane to people who don't get it, but it's like almost pure creativity. Yeah, you know, like yeah, you look at uh, Wes's costumes that he wears on the various tours or whatever. That's just like creativity, like the different riffs he comes up with, the 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 music that the band produces overall. Like, yeah. Yeah, maybe you draw the line of creativity with some of Fred Durst's lyrics, but like, well, but even still, even like, that is like a. I almost feel like that's. I think now, especially looking back on it, it was all on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like he was doing that shit not because he thought it was like genuinely cool. Right, yeah. I think he was doing it because he thought it was like f- kind of funny and like, Yeah. This, like it was like a big prank on people that he was playing. You know, people grant the Beastie Boys a lot of leeway for their yeah. um uh, like girls and brass monkey and just like having these like stupid lyrics that you come up with uh to make your friends laugh and like even though you're saying stuff that isn't necessarily reflective of your viewpoint on 
different aspects asbestos asbestos uh aspects of life uh you like that's just part of the song or whatever you know you're not taking it literally yeah um you know like did it all for the nookie yeah so you could take that cookie and shove it up your yeah like right it's just like it's fun it's It's stupid matter of fact if if you go right now to youtube and you watch a modern limp biscuit like concert footage, which yeah. there's an abundance of out there. Oh, yeah. We have like smartphones. You could see they invite like a shitload of fans up on stage. They're like children up there singing break <laughs> stuff, like <laughs> swear words included and stuff. But like, I don't know. It's just like fun. It's like a, almost like a, uh, a family atmosphere, but it's uh, it's not like family you're born with. It's like the family you find along the way. Yeah, you know that that whole type of aesthetic, and I just fucking love it so much. Like I feel like, especially with the uh, dead vibes coming out middle of last yeah. year, um, I feel like people were finally on board. You know that it was weird. It seemed like because there was that, and then there was the 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 HBO documentary about Woodstock '99. Oh, I still haven't seen that. I oh, that. dude. Yeah. It's really good. I'm going to add that to it's my... It's shockingly yeah. good. Um, And I feel like that... Uh, people, like, changed their attitudes toward Limp Biscuit mm-hmm. after that. Because they had, they had been mistakenly, like, blamed for that whole fucking thing that happened, you know? And if mm-hmm. you watch a documentary, it is abundantly clear that it was not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um... Just, 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 but then they, they also interview the, uh, like the main guy, like the, one of the, I think he may have been like the head guy over all of it. And he is like blaming Limp Biscuit specifically. Like it's ridiculous. And you watch it and you see, uh, you take everything into the context and you're like, okay, these people were not guilty of it. And also there's some great footage of them playing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like after that came out, I saw a bunch of people on Reddit and like, even like my parents fucking watched it and oh. we're like, you know, that that Limp Biscuit that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Like they seemed like they were just like fun and energy. Yes. Like like yeah. everybody was kind of like actually they were they were pretty good, weren't they? Like yeah. it's it's ridiculous how they got so misaligned. And I feel like I have spent my entire <laughs> life since I was 14 years old defending Limp Biscuit and yeah. this podcast now this one specifically is so important to me to be yes. able to get it on the record and out into the public my thoughts our thoughts yeah. on defending Limp Biscuit. The amount of restraint you and I have shown oh from not di- and we've talked about Limp Biscuit. If if a listener were to tell me, no, you guys <laughs> mentioned them on every episode, I'd be like, yeah, of course. Yeah, great, yeah, yeah. But like, not to the extent that you and I are thinking right for today's episode, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's like I think part of it is that uh, Limp Biscuit they had a a to a novice person, uh, especially because Ross Robinson produced this album, they could hear that. This album, like, very uh, basically sounds like the first two Korn albums. Again, production is a big part of sure. that, right? Uh, and Fred's voice, like, when he he screams, it's it can be a little bit, like, somewhat close to Jonathan Davis's. Like, of course, you and I can, like, tell the difference. You and I grew up with sure, a, a sure. pair of twins named Donald and Michael. Oh, God. And at first glance, you, you could see, oh, they're twins. But after you, like, get to know them for, like, a month... You can tell them apart at a distance, right? Right. right so right, right, it's right. kind of like that. Like you and I may not think that Limp Biscuit sounds like corn, but again, to somebody who's not familiar with this and has only like vaguely heard like a couple of like corn and a couple of Limp to Biscuit songs. To my grand, my dead grandmother, uh-huh. she would not be able to tell them apart. Exactly. It would just sound like noise to her. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we should have her on the show. 
Uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll resurrect mine. You resurrect yours. We'll just have the mod. Dead fine. grandmas. Yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> a dead grandma episode. <laughs> yeah. Another one. It's going to be sad. They said once a quarter, and this is like <laughs> monthly. Um, but uh, I, I do think that because corn music was so heavy at the time, like, Lyrically speaking, there's yeah. a lot of like drama s- surrounding those lyrics and that aesthetic. Right. That whenever you see that in Limp Biscuit, it makes it seem like, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing. Why yeah. is this? They're doing like a bad version of this. No, they're doing their version of this genre. It's it's corn through a cartoon filter. Oh my god, that's perfect. Like they are a cart. That's what I try to tell people who are like serious musicians. I'm like, listen, excuse me. What you got to understand here is. Limp Biscuit is 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 cartoon metal. Like it is literally like a almost a parody of metal, but with actual like legitimate musicianship behind it. Yeah. Everybody hears Fred Durst's voice right at the top. Right. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's they're most people you hear the lyrics. Sure. That's yeah. what's the That's main standout to yeah, you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um I have almost trained my ears now to put Fred at least on the level on uh, as the rest of the band in some songs behind because <laughs> yeah. uh, because as it goes on i think he loses a little bit of it but i think on this this album specifically he is at his absolute fucking peak his mm-hmm. voice sounds incredible his lyrics are honestly so good mm-hmm. like i don't know and i think i maybe brought this up at one point but uh there's like a rumor or like a theory that uh his ex at the time like was helping him out with writing, which cause he's even said in interviews, she like, uh, like helped him out. But I think it was like to a greater extent than most people like know, realized at the time, because like beyond being the inspiration for, right. Cause he says okay. a lot of it is the inspiration mm-hmm. from her about his like bad relationship, but she also like helped him out with the lyrics, mm-hmm. but cause there is a clear difference between the lyric lyrical quality on this album and then going into the next one. I don't mind it, um, no. but it, it. I can't deny that it's there. <laughs> there's there's something because this happens with that, uh, and we'll get to us later in in the the series of episodes. But like the that first Lincoln Park album has more technical uh, like rap lyrics than their follow up. So Hybrid Theory has more technical lyrics to me. Yeah, on the rap side of it, um, from Mike Shinoda. Uh, than Meteora because that's where it gets like very basic. I think maybe they were just like almost overwriting it or right. whatever, but whatever. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. 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 Back to the I mean, biscuit. I'm actually, I haven't listened to Linkin Park in a long time. Oh, I'd really? be interested to, I'm going to save it for, for, for when mm-hmm. we get there, but yeah. uh, kind just, of interested to listen to that. Just edge until then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're definitely diving into Limp Biscuit today. Uh, do Spoilers. You, <laughs> Do you want to uh, go through some personnel? Absolutely, goddamn lutely. So, Limp Biscuit is known as a five-piece band. The main vocalist is Fred Durst, and then we've got Wes Borland, the legendary oh, Wes Borland on guitars and backing vocals. DJ Lethal does turntable samples, keyboards, programming, and sound development, according to Wikipedia. Uh, I guess maybe some like production stuff held uh, over yeah, from that, that for Sugar Ray album. Um, John Otto. Uh, he takes us to the Matthews Bridge uh, on drums and percussion. Does he fucking ever? And then Sam Rivers. God damn. Sam fucking Rivers. <sighs> so good. His bass lines. He yeah. He's the bass player. He butter. does backing vocals fucking as well. Butter. 
Um, I'm just going to put this out there. I, let's just fucking get into it. Let's do it. He is my favorite bassist in wow. all of music. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Uh, outside of you. Uh, he's my, <laughs> he's my favorite, ba- he's my favorite bassist. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I, I've said this, uh, something similar in front of musicians before where I was like, ah, like one of my favorite bass, like I, I, I threw out a few of them, obviously the most famous bassist. We all know Gene Simmons, best one, right? Oh, a lot doy. of people. Yeah. Lick it up. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. I love his politics. Oh. <laughs> uh, did you ever hear that cover of Firestarter he did? Like, did I ever, did I ever like the that? Prodigy Firestarter? Uh-huh. Oh, Jesus. He did no, it. No, I have not. It's fucking terrible. Just wait. Actually, that does maybe ring some. Maybe you. I think I, I said that to you uh, like a few years back. I probably just like purposely forgot it. To your benefit. Okay. Now that you're saying it, I do remember it. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't remember it. I remember hating it. <laughs> I don't remember the song. As did the rest of humanity. Oh, Jesus Christ. But um, anyway, uh, and I, I, I mentioned um, uh, Ryan Martini, who's the bass player from Mudvayne. It's very, yes, very good. Incredible bass player. But there's something about Sam Rivers playing that's yep. distinct. It carries the song. It knows when to like step back. Yeah. And just like thicken up the, the guitar sound. But then also it's like... Uh, very catchy, you know. It's oh, like yeah. the, the catchiest part of a of a song. Um, it's just like so fucking good, man. Like shout out to Sam Rivers. There's a, a point where he was going through like a, a rough time. He was going through like some. Uh, he had had like surgery for something. I think it was like back problems or something. Uh, like well, he was he was a pretty bad alcoholic, and I think he had a liver transplant. That's, that's not a problem. I don't consider <laughs> that a problem, honestly. <laughs> it's not a real problem. That's a that's a feature, not a bug, to me. <laughs> Yeah, but I I know that like, especially for like some of these bands that you and I grew up with that are in this genre and others where that you just like you put your body through like so much torture just oh, like man. jumping around and shit and, and the touring scheduling the, is the like touring yeah you living have to, out of a suitcase you, uh, you have to tour the states for like almost a year solid yeah. and then you go overseas to all these different countries yeah. and tour for another year and a half there and then come back and tour again but um you're jumping around you're banging your head you're like doing all this shit uh you have this instrument strapped to your body sometimes and people just, don't realize how physically demanding playing on stage especially if you're in yeah. like a heavy band where mm-hmm. you're expected to really like you know be physical about it like mm-hmm. it is a goddamn workout oh yeah taylor hawkins um Oh, rest in power. Yeah, rest in peace. Apparently, but right before he passed, he was just like he was telling people, he's like, I can't do this fucking schedule anymore. I heard about this. Like, yeah, he he's. I mean, dude was pushing, or he was fifty. I think yep. he was fifty. And if you watch him play, you know, like, and Foo Fighters are not like a hour and a half and out of their band. They'll go for three hours a night. Oh my god, every night. Yeah, uh, for you know, fucking forty nights in a row, mm-hmm. or well, you know, I mean. Probably, probably a couple day or two in between. But sometimes mm-hmm. you'd be doing, you know, two or three shows uh, in a row, mm-hmm. maybe travel a little bit. But, anyways, it's like it's very taxing on you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine. Uh, and well, I you can because I've played in a band. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it, and like we haven't played in bands in like several years, like coming up on a decade for yeah, both I of know. us. Yeah. Um, but like I still have like aches and pains, you know, from that shit. Oh, yeah. But. Uh, but canonically, my favorite band is Slipknot, and uh, I'll be honest. Like, I see some of the like more recent concert footage. These fellas are old. Uh, they, they're not. They're yeah. not uh, as energetic as they used to be. But 
Um, Limp Biscuit is 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 the same. Like they're they're older as well. Like everybody ages the same, sure. right? But like I feel like a Limp Biscuit show is still more entertaining just because it's like yeah. nonsense on stage, yeah. you know. And that's it's, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. fun, like but not in a bad way, in a I, good way. I could show people footage of a Limp Biscuit, like a modern Limp Biscuit show, and they're like, "Is that?" Fred Durst in a recliner performing a song. <laughs> yes, it yep. is. Of course. It's just like, it's fun. It's just pure fun. Yeah. And that's like, that's where I am in my life. You know, like yeah. you and I, we don't have actual like human children. So it's like, no. what am I supposed to sink my love and devotion into? It's like, well, obviously Limp Biscuit. Yeah. Everyone yeah. should. It makes the world a better place, you know? Live, laugh, Limp Biscuit. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, now, going back to the personnel, uh, as I mentioned, Ross Robinson produced this album. Uh, the other m- uh, main musician on this is Scott Borland, which is Wes's brother, right? I would say an unsung, um, not hero, but like like he he is super important to Limp Bizkit. He's like uh, an unofficial sixth member. Yes, the I think band, they, right? I, I think there was actually several like promo things or something where he was included as a actual member, like promo photos where he was taking pictures with the band like with early him. on. Yeah. But then he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I'll play the, cause he, he did it all the way through. He may have even been on dad vibes. I wouldn't be, or, uh, uh, still sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know he was playing, he was still doing a lot of their synth backing mm-hmm. keyboard production stuff. Yeah. He does uh, keyboards on tracks one, two and six of this album. And, uh, it's good. I'll just, spoilers, it's good. He's good. Um, now, this is the debut studio album by the band. Uh, I, I'm i sure they had like some type of demo that they shopped around a, a bit. So they did have a demo, um, and uh, they uh, Fred had passed it to, I want to say it's Head in Corn, Head or Monkey, one of the mm-hmm. two. I can't. <laughs> yeah. One of those two. Um, and uh, he like told him, he was like, this kind of sucks. Like, <laughs> It's not very good. And then I guess his girlfriend heard it and she was like, this is fucking incredible. They they passed it to Ross Robinson, his yes, girlfriend. They, Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we got passed on to Ross Robinson and he was like, okay, I can, I can fucks with this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest, as they say, is uh mystery. There you go. Uh, turns out I had made a, a note about the original demo, um, which was, <laughs> I totally forgot. Uh, the original demo included Pollution, Counterfeit, and Stalemate, which were all re-recorded for this album. I think yeah. the only demo that they kept i couldn't find any information about the song leech which is in parentheses it says demo yeah it's weird but it sounds just as good as the rest of the album so right. not, i don't quite understand but maybe that's why maybe at that point they figured out the demo process and they were like let's just make the rest of the album sound like this <laughs> yeah. and that was just that song um this album was recorded in uh, malibu california at indigo ranch which is a, yep. a popular recording spot for a lot of new metal burnt down not that long ago unfortunately did it really yeah with the california wildfires what did you do <laughs> i was a little stinker <laughs> they were like ross d- don't you dare ash out into the field again <laughs> you can't tell me what to do you can take away my freedom uh now there was some controversy around this album in that interscope the record label paid five thousand dollars <laughs> To guarantee that a Portland radio station played the song Counterfeit 50 times, and uh, it was uh, preceded and concluded with an announcement that the airtime was paid for by Interscope. Uh, The paid airtime was criticized by the media who saw that as payola, which I guess is like technically true, but if you announce that it's paid for before and after, 
then it's not like they were trying to pull a fast one. Yeah, like is it payola? I guess so. And also, but like, you know. that's how everything fucking works now. That is the norm for everything. It's so wild, right? You don't like, think Imagine Dragons isn't pumping Clear Channel with like millions of dollars to play their fucking awesome music. <laughs> Dude, you remember like back in the day, Millie Vanilli got busted on yeah. live TV. It's like some award for show syncing. for lip syncing. Yeah. And now literally everyone does it. There's a whole thing in the metal community going on right now where like the band Fozzie is like under fire for using backing <laughs> no. vocals and stuff. Fozzie? Waka waka. And uh, it's just like a whole thing. Like I imagine a lot of bands do it. Uh, if anything, for like backing oh. vocals and like choruses and stuff if not like the main vocal because they're like jumping around like any type of additional pr- production has to be has to have a backing track mm-hmm. I, I i mentioned this before i, I worked for a uh an arena and we we had a lot of bands come through and like i would i can guarantee you that 99 percent of them like i can promise you because i was there for sound checks 99 mm-hmm. percent of them are using backing tracks like not even vocals mm-hmm. like uh, there are vocals because that helps, uh, you know, give depth to the vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also stuff like a little piano part or something that you mm-hmm. wouldn't otherwise have. So like there is so much backing stuff in yeah. almost any concert you go to outside of like, you know, if you're going down to your local bar uh, you know, concert hall, whatever, um, like they're probably not. But even even now a lot of them are because it's mm-hmm. super easy to, to have something recorded and just plug an auxiliary cable and have a backing track. It makes yeah. everything sound fuller and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, I mean like there was some criticism with like Motley crew before they stopped touring where, uh, I guess Nikki six was accused of not actually playing bass live. He was just like, oh. that was part of the, the backing music right. as well that I have a problem with. But otherwise, if it's just like enhancement stuff, like as long as every instrument, uh, every like band member on stage is playing an instrument or whatever, sure. when they're supposed to, you know, whatever other backing stuff, sometimes you've got samples or loops or whatever going or multiple guitar parts. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like even on this album, you can definitely tell there are multiple. I mean, that's every album though. Like everything has multiple. Gu- We've recorded music. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just play one guitar part. You will record like probably the same same riff like four or five times because it adds to. And you just track it over each other, lay it on top of each other. It adds a lot of like depth, mm-hmm. and like fullness of sound. It, it makes a huge fucking difference. Um, so I think the only people who bitch about that kind of stuff are people who are not musicians and don't understand. Right. Yeah. Or who, who are these musicians who are like ultra purists about it. And you know, fuck who cares about them. They're like jazz nerds or whatever. <laughs> I love jazz. I I'm just saying like yeah. there are people out there that, you know, would probably foo foo at any kind of thing. Now, if you're fully replacing, like you said, like your bass track or your mm-hmm. vocal track and you're not even like your mic's not even on, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why even who cares? Like you're yeah. just going there to see a person walk around on stage like at that point. Yeah. Uh, but having some assistance, even even having like your own vocal track that was recorded in studio and probably pitch correct and everything playing on top of your live vocals. It's fine. It yeah. sounds better. It does. Trust me. It sounds way fucking better. I know Eminem does that a lot where he's just wraps over like a layer of 
one of his studio vocals yeah. or whatever. And that kind of drives me nuts. Yeah. Because he has a, like a hype man there with him as well. Right. So it's like, just let him fill in because it's just, it's, it's too much. I used to go to a lot of rap shows. My, yeah. my old roommate, uh, one of my good friends, Scott, who is a local rapper who's fucking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, that was always like a, a big uh, thing with where he hated because he would host mm-hmm. these hip hop uh show yeah. uh, hip hop like night shows mm-hmm. uh where it'd be like uh he calls them lessons in fresh and they've been going on for like over 10 years now and uh dude is just killing it out there mm-hmm. um he also hosts a podcast called fire in little africa which is oh, yeah. uh largely based around the tulsa race massacre mm-hmm. um but it also is is like a you know features a lot of local artists that come on um I highly recommend his podcast. It's it's really really fucking good, and they've got like some legitimate like uh, uh, like push behind it. There, they've got like a documentary going right now. I think with like CNN or something like that. Oh wow! Yeah, no, they like yeah. Damn. Like, okay. It's 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 legitimately a, a thing. Um, very impressive. He's a he's one of my best friends. Love the dude to death. He definitely does not listen to this show. <laughs> well, he, regardless, he's we'll, a real rapper. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to put a link to his show in the Ooh, yeah, uh, description yeah, sure. of this one. So. Um, but, uh, he, that was a big pet peeve of his is when rappers would come in with a, a fully produced track and they would have it playing. So if they stumbled on their line or like, didn't want to say a line, the line was still being like wrapped. Oh yeah. And, you know, it's like it's a it's one thing if you come in there with a track that has like you know uh, just like a, a a little like accent on the end of a phrase or something. You know where you're like, uh, <laughs> my name is MC Ross and I'm here to say you know, and there would be mm. like two you know so it'd, so it'd be it would it would hit a little bit harder. That's one thing. But mm. when it was literally just their studio thing that they recorded in their bedroom on, you know. Uh, garage band or whatever mm-hmm. and it was just there because sometimes they'd like get up there and start rapping and they let two or three lines go by where they wouldn't rap because <laughs> they would like forget it or whatever yeah. you know or or stumble a little bit mm. um so yeah that, that rap rap though is different yeah because it's so so much of it is about the lyric it's it it is lyric almost entirely i mean mm. um for the art form of rapping uh, it's, I mean, entirely lyrically based. So you have to have good lyrics and they have to be done <laughs> live. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's like part of the thing. Whereas I think, you know, when you get into like more produced music, uh, there's so much that goes into it. Yeah. Um, it's like, it, but it'd be, it'd be the equivalent of, um, not playing your lead or like faking your lead, uh, solo. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, like that is so important to a guitar that like, no, that needs to be done live. And yeah, you can have like a rhythm, uh, guitar melody, whatever behind it. But like that live part has to be done live. Like mm-hmm. same thing with like rap, like the lyrics have to be done live. You can't cheat that shit. Like mm-hmm. it has to be genuine. Um, but yeah, th- this is really getting into the weeds here. Let's get back to Limp Bizkit. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's like part of the music discussion of it all, right? Sure, right. So, um, but going back to the payola, uh, oh, portion yes, of that we were talking right, about. Right. Uh, Fredders later would state that uh, the the whole thing worked, but it's not that cool of a thing. So, uh, you know, they they kind of got the results they were yeah. looking for in a way. And again, it was uh, promoted by the label themselves. Sure. It's not like... Which he, he later became a... <laughs> he was like a... Uh, he he created Flip, right? Which was like an offshoot Flip, of but Interscope. But he, like he was like a VP at Interscope. Oh, Okay. 
Yeah, he was like way high up because he ended up signing a whole lot of bands after that, like Stained oh, and Puddle cool. of Mud and yeah. all that shit. Yeah. No, he was like a yeah, he was like on the vice presidents. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing that little stunt right there helped him probably secure uh, that because you know it's back then especially uh, that wasn't something that you really did. Yeah, but it also worked. So you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. It it worked in that like in the long run it got those plays, but uh, it really did not increase sales from what I read. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Which stood only at one hundred seventy thousand in early nineteen ninety eight. And again, this came out on July first of ninety seven. So this uh, it had like a half year or so run of just like just like somewhat steady sales, but much of the album's resulting sales instead like came from thousand would be touring. like huge for a new band. Oh my god, <laughs> so yeah, hundred thousand albums. Yeah. Holy shit. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, eventually, the album would go on to be certified double platinum in 2001, which is the equivalent of 2 million albums sold in the United States and then whatever it is worldwide. We don't... So we it blew up after there. Significant Other. Um, I th- think so. I think maybe like Steady Touring helped increase sales. Yeah. And then like, yeah, Significant Other maybe projected people back just a little bit. Um, I... I I would probably say that Faith, by the time it got to that single being released, that really helped things quite a bit. Yeah, because like that was everywhere. Was the first single, right? Oh, I believe so. What are the singles of this album? You might say. See, uh, the singles were Counterfeit, which was released August twenty sixth of nineteen ninety seven, nearly okay. two months after the album came out, which is bizarre, right? You so they didn't like have start- a single out when the album came out. Evidently not. Wow. Yeah. And then after that, uh, Nobody Loves Me, Sour, and then Faith was the fourth and final single <laughs> from this album. Um, so yeah, August so 20- when So, okay, that makes sense. When Faith came out, that was when they probably started the sales ramped up. Yeah, and I remember reading that like that's what really helped prompt them into the mainstream. But I think maybe by that point, they were already touring with like Korn or something like that. Yeah, because well, they were touring with Corn before they ever even released an album because Wes quit before um, they got signed. They got right? signed. Yeah, yeah. They, like Wes quit really early on, and Fred talked him back. Okay, I was the Wikipedia article that was that had that information. It was like Wes quit the band, so Fred signed with Interscope. It was like the way that it's written. <laughs> it's not written properly. It's not like one caused the other. You know. Right. 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 Um, but. Uh, the let's talk about the the album title. Okay, yeah, three dollar bill, y'all. You and I are both Oklahomans, uh, our entire lives. Yes, we don't ever say the word y'all. Like it's just not part of our standard no. vocabulary. Unless like, I'm code switching with like some redneck that I want to like me. Oh sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, or when we're talking about this album, this is the only time that I will say it. Most y'all. of the time, I just say why apostrophe all. It's a, it's a fun <laughs> yeah. little joke for me. Um, How is why apostrophe all are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just keep it short. <laughs> uh, the band named the album using part of the phrase queer as a $3 bill, which I didn't I didn't realize that's what the full phrase was. I thought yeah. it was like real as a $3 bill, like ironically saying oh, that. Right. Just, I guess, from the lyric on this album, you know? Yeah. And adding the word y'all at the end to embody the Florida slang to the title and this band is from Florida. Uh, Consequently, giving the album uh, name, it's title $3 bill, y'all. The cover art is uh, illustrated by Fred Durst and he also provided art direction for the album. 
It's actually a pretty good album cover. I honestly, like it. All things considered. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does look a little bit like something someone drew in detention in high school, um, but like a good version of that, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, you could tell there's like talent there. It's just like oh, a, yeah. a, a figure, uh, it's all white figure, but there's like black shading, but it, it looks like it's done in like almost ballpoint pen or something like that. Right. And then you have like the, the red around it. So it's, uh, it was scanned with like your dad's <laughs> like, like, shitty scanner yeah. that he had. Yeah, mm-hmm. it looks amateurish, but I think it's good. Mm-hmm. I think this 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 album has like a punk feel to it. Like a, uh, I don't mean punk, proper punk, but mm-hmm. like like uh, like punky. Like it it has a that very like to yeah, it. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, both in production and like art style and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has that. It reminds me a lot of suicidal tendencies, which I know Fred was like a huge fan of. Uh, there's a, a song on here. I think maybe it's stuck that references. Uh, All I wanted was a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi yeah. far from suicidal. Still, I got them tendencies, bringing back the memories. Yeah. Um, and I had never heard that song before, but I was listening to faction punk oh. and that song came on really. And I heard it and I, I stopped working. You've never Just heard that song I'd before? Never heard that institutionalized? Song before. No. Oh, dude, that fucking song rules. So it really hard. does. Yeah. And then he like gets to the part because it's just like a guy. I couldn't believe it. It was just like some guy yelling. Oh, I just want a Pepsi. Just want Pepsi. Yeah. He was like yelling to his, to his mom, mom or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It was wild. Dude, listen to that whole album. I'm telling you. Like, like that whole album is is fucking great. I'll have to check I got it out. Like, super I like it. into suicidal tendencies at really? one point. Yeah. I Dude, really, really dig them. I was so impressed with like that. I was like, damn, they got that from that. And then uh, I, I pulled it up on Genius real quick just to look it up. And I guess uh, Cypress Hill had referenced that song and one of their songs at some point oh, or whatever. Huh. Uh, okay. I think it was the one that was about uh, weed. Um, I'll have to, you have to narrow it down. I don't know. Oh, okay. So there's more. So maybe I guess there are like two or three songs. about. Wait, it. Uh, I meant to say the other funny thing uh, <laughs> that narrows it down. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. There we go. Yeah. We'll fix it in post. I'm not yeah. going to fix it. Nope. Um, but uh, yeah. So I think that's kind of primarily everything that we, we had as far as the, the general album thoughts. Yeah. Let's talk about the band's sound. The sound. The sound of this band. Um, on Going back to the album cover real quick, the font for the band's name is in like this almost graffiti-esque-like font. Yeah. And one thing to note on this album for the band themselves is they are probably most definitely the most hip-hop-influenced band so far. And that's taking yeah, oh, that, sure. that first Sugar Ray album into consideration where they had scratching and they had some like hip-hop beats and uh, the occasional like break beat worked in yeah. there. But this is really like to the next level. Oh, it's like they're doing the hip-hop sound strictly with their instruments. Like not, it's not just an element. It's like they are playing hip-hop tracks unconventionally like playing their instruments in an unconventional way sort of like almost like a tom morello thing where Mm -hmm. you know he was uh using his his guitar in a way that hadn't been really used before to make a new sound yeah uh west does the same thing i would argue very much Mm -hmm. um and then sam and uh john uh both are super hip-hop minded Mm -hmm. Uh, their beats and their in their in their bass lines i mean it's just it's all straight up hip hop. Mm-hmm. Then of course you got Lethal who at this point was already I mean Lethal had been in the music industry for a while mm-hmm. because I mean House, House of, of Pain. Pain was like late 80s. Yeah. So he had probably been, you know, DJing longer than I'm guessing he's the oldest one in the band. He's got to be, right? I mean Probably. Yeah. Uh so he probably came in as a 
uh, vet more or mm-hmm. less. Uh, but he adds so fucking much to this album because mm-hmm. I was really intently over the past couple of weeks have been just like super focused in on this and really like picking apart where the instrumentation is and who's doing what. And like, it's really illuminated me to how much, well, Scott Borland does a lot on here too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lethal, uh, is Wes has said before that like, you know, when he first joined, he wasn't sure how to play with a DJ. Like, mm-hmm. what did he just do scratching? But he said, once they kind of worked out that how the sound was going to, to all come together, mm-hmm. that, he was like a sec- he looked at him as a second guitarist, not as like a guy who just like scratches over stuff. And like, uh, what is it? S- uh, sour. Oh yeah. When we get to that, um, my God, I-, I would say lethal is almost like the, like the, <laughs> the star of that track. He mm-hmm. does so much. Uh, his scratching is like, not just your typical record scratching. He's like using samples to scratch, uh, that makes it blend into the music in a way that I don't think anybody had even really thought about up until this album. I think he used effects pedals and um, oh yeah, that, for sure. that type of thing, you know? Um, listening back to this album uh, so recently, I was still trying to figure out, well, who's playing this part? Yeah. Like, is this a bass guitar? Is this a regular guitar? Is this lethal? Like, is this Scott? Like some keyboard thing, yeah. you know? And then Wes can do so many weird, make his guitar sound so crazy. You're like, is this a sample from like mm-hmm. a fucking accordion or is this Wes on his guitar? Like, yeah. it's that it's that unique of a, of a play. And Wes has said before, especially back then, I, don't, I think he's kind of moved past it. But back then he said he's not a lead guitarist. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy that can get up there and just like shred and play all these like really complicated things. He says when he sits down to write a song, he builds it. Mm. So he's not just sitting down and just kind of dun, 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 dun. he's like like picking out how like the the like the rhythm and the melody um uh he's like building it around that. And if it's kind of hard to describe if you don't play guitar, but he's not coming at it from like, here's the note and here's the chord progression I'm going to play. He's coming at it as what kind of sound can I build out of doing unconventional things with my mm-hmm. guitar? So one of the reasons I, he's probably my favorite guitarist ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also like my favorite musician just because like, especially if you get past like the Limp Biscuit stuff and listen to more of his like solo things, um, he does so many incredibly unique things with just music, not even guitar, just like the way he approaches music and writing is so unconventional. Um, I, I just, I love the man to death. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love the man to death. He's just, I, I, I've honestly been thinking about reaching out to him and seeing if he'll, uh, Give us like 30 minutes, man. 30 minutes, yeah. I wanted to get a couple episodes under our belt so we didn't sound like we were just like this, hey, we've got two episodes. You want to be on our podcast? I wanted to get like, hey, we've hit double digits now. Like we've got some kind of some numbers behind us. Um, Like would would you be interested in just coming in? Like we don't even talk about Limp Biscuit. Like I'll talk Mm -hmm. about all your solo stuff because I, or your art. Like I just wanted, Mm -hmm. (laughs) notice me, Senpai, please. You know this. I've been. I have been, been a. Yet. I have been a West Borland stan. Uh, like since day one. Since day one. Yeah. Since day one. One hundred percent. And yeah. I followed him like past Limp Biscuit. Um, oh yeah, Blacklight Burns. Blacklight Burns. Uh, Big Dumb Face. Big Dumb, yeah. Um, he's got a lot of solo stuff that he did. He played with uh, Richard Patrick. Uh, yeah. On that 
was that like the underworld soundtrack or some shit he was a touring guitarist for nine inch nails briefly and marilyn manson he did i think did actually some studio work with marilyn manson um he helped uh write a couple songs on that jonathan davis um like solo album Mm, yeah which was like "Mm, there's some good then you get to wes's stuff you're like oh this is really fucking interesting and cool Mm. um he played with his ex-wife uh queen kwong um on a couple of her tracks uh he's just done a, like a lot of random he did like some crystal method songs yeah like, oh my god those songs fucking rip yeah. too uh he recently played at some uh music festival yeah he, was, he played uh, uh danny, danny elfman, elfman. Yeah. yeah yeah it was really good yeah um i've yet to find like a good quality uh full recording of it um i really want to see like a the whole honestly if i'd gone to like it was coachella right yeah was it okay? I, think, I wasn't sure which one it was. But. Yeah, that sounds right. I was like, man, I would go there just exclusively to listen to Danny Elfman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some other good bands there, but fuck, man, people fucking love Danny Elfman, and I can see shit. why. Like, I'm not super into like music scores and that type of thing. I, I don't really know any Oingo Boingo songs, but no, like, no. I just kind of like him as a figure in pop culture. You yeah, know? yeah. Mm-hmm. He's. I mean, like. It's crazy how many soundtracks and soundscapes that he's designed that like are so integral into our like entire lives. He like scored a Simpsons theme song. <laughs> he scored the Justice League movie. Like, what more needs to be said, guys? <laughs> oh God. Well, yeah, yeah. Can't wait for losing. He did the Batman yeah. theme, which is this is true. Incredible. Um, Spider Man. Going back to to Wes, uh, he I read that he played a lot of the guitar on this album without a pick. Yeah. Which is crazy. And that's whenever I first started playing. Well, I played with a pick early on, but whenever I heard that Wes didn't play with a pick, I stopped playing with a pick. I don't play with a pick now. <laughs> oh, really? No. Uh, it gives a real like percussive feel yeah. to all of the guitar parts. And it just like, it sounds so different to yeah. me, you know? It's it's super unique. And there's like guitarist friends that I have. They're like, oh, Limp Biscuit. But like when I sit them down and I'm like, fucking listen to this. And like, we'll point things out. They're like, oh, wow, that's really... People are like shocked. They're like, I didn't think that there was this much like depth in there. And again, going back to my like, <laughs> I wish I could make it my full time job defending Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so good at it at this point. I can like, yeah. you know, all the tricks, you know. I know everything. Um, there's a lot of powerful hip hop drumming, and uh, uh, they're like distinct oh bass lines again that help drive the momentum of the songs and like the album in general um dj lethal adds a lot of cool scratching and textures and you had mentioned the thing about west uh considering dj uh, a second guitarist yeah and i had an incident when i was playing in a band once where uh the we had like a i think we were on like our third bass player of this band i was <laughs> in and this new guy he was really like he really just came into the band hot he was just like really making himself comfortable right away and it's just like man i don't i don't really know you like that you know right. it's like a five-piece band and like yeah. he was coming in as the fifth member and he was just like let me tell you how you need to do your thing like i love I, those guys oh god it's just it's uncomfortable it's a lot of weirdos in the music 100 percent, especially but, local music oh fucking christ um everyone's a rock star but he he was like oh you just gotta make your turntable sound like a guitar for people who don't know and haven't listened to oh, other episodes, I, oh. yeah, I was a, a DJ in a, a metal band, and he was like, "Yeah, you just gotta make it sound like a guitar." I'm like, but why? He's like, "That's what DJ Lethal does." I'm like, "But no, he doesn't." Like, not. He was like taking it literally instead of right. like being 
rhythm based and like adding melody or whatever he was like oh no he just make it sound like a guitar no, all the time no. like no that's not like how good of a dj would he be if it just sounded like guitar every song that's <laughs> yeah. like you have a whole soundscape before you you could just like sample or scratch a guitar chord or something like no right. no, no no that's not how that works no um, so i got into an argument about him over the <laughs> instrument that i played and he didn't understand so that was fun um and then like we we have to talk about the vocals on this album um yeah and you know for for all the the shit that fred durst gets i i do think that this is probably his best vocal performance overall that's ross robinson ross robinson was there and it's it's got all the classic durst isms that you expect but it's it's like the best version of that yeah it's not as whiny not as whiny uh some of that is there but it's i feel like he really like turns it up to 11 on later albums the whitiness of it all yeah you know oh. one was that my way or whatever yeah uh yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know i feel like there's more variation to his vocal performance we'll, on this album we'll, we'll get to it but there's there i cannot remember i think it's um is it clunk where his, his he he raps like it kind of drops out the music drops out and he's like you need to drop that freaking ego before you crash before the headlights are simply blaring in your eyes and you're going down like he's like in a lower register when he raps i'm like man that sounds really good mm-hmm. like i wish he did that as opposed to the yeah 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 like yeah. <laughs> little kind of whiny mm-hmm. squeaky thing that he does later i don't i don't hate it uh but uh yeah on, on this album it sounds so fucking good when when your vocal performance is this varied on this album yeah. you want that to be carried over to later albums but it's not it's really just like uh, just the whininess into the screaming you know yeah and it's just and he does a less and less screaming as he goes on which understandable because it fucks up your vocal cords pretty bad mm-hmm. and he he needs that for something i don't know <laughs> um but uh it's not like your job or anything no not fine um all that said, you know, that we've kind of yeah. laid the groundwork of like all the instruments and everything. The most important part is, dear listener, I hope you brought your passport because we're going to Rift City. <laughs> we're cruising through the Rhythm Nation. We're taking a tour of the Scratch Factory. <laughs> if you like new metal, there's a lot on this album for you to like. Oh, yeah. we're, t- we're touching all the corners yep. of this globe. So... Why don't we just fucking get into it, dude? Let's do it. Let's do it. So this first track before you play it is it's titled Intro. <laughs> and I would I would consider this to be the first like actual intro to a new metal album. Like there was Snug Harbor on that Sugar Ray right. uh debut album. But that was like it was the band performing the song. Yeah. You know, this is like, oh, we're actually going to just create this intro for the album. It's not like yeah. a song per se. It's just like essentially a guy talking. There's some music underneath it. It leads into the opening of the album, which yeah. is pollution, right? But uh, yeah, if you want to go ahead and play the intro to intro, we can listen to that. think that is i don't know i keep trying to figure it out doesn't really sound like fred durst no doesn't sound like wes i i couldn't i kind of wonder if it's ross robinson but <laughs> there's like more religious stuff on this than i remember like the, the album itself right. like I, I remembered indigo flow 
he says, and God, I love you or whatever. This is going to be Scott Borland playing it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what the note I had. Yeah. So um, you brought up God. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. Re- You've heard of him? Uh, you know his work? We're pa- we know each. We know oh, okay. of each other. I see. Okay. That's <laughs> yeah. good. He, uh, so apparently uh, Fred's dad like left him when he was like before he was even born. His dad skipped out um, and his mom had like no money at all. Mm-hmm. And so they uh, lived in like a room like in a church like took them in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, Fred early on, you know, cause there's that, and God, I love you. You know, that thing that happens in there. Um, but if you listen to his later stuff, especially like on like, uh, the, uh, unquestionable truth, mm-hmm. uh, I think he turns his back on a lot of that religious stuff because he really seems to go pretty hard after, at least organized religion. So yeah, I I remember reading like a more recent interview with him where he was just like, yeah, I kind of distance myself from like my opinions on that have changed without yeah. outright condemning religion. Right. It just seems like he's. I can see where like if a church, you know, like literally like, <laughs> it's kind of saved your life a little bit, like where you'd be easily drawn into that. But he's he says something on. Um, Man, what is that? Uh, what's that? That song on fucking the newest album? He says something to the effect of like, "What do I still have a cross hanging from my necklace or oh, whatever?" Yeah. Um. So I, it, it, you kind of get the feeling that he's distanced himself from it, but it's it's not like it was like a massive aspect. Right. It's not like they were trying to be Creed or whatever, <laughs> right. you know. And funny, uh, uh, Wes's dad was an actual preacher. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But Wes was like, I turned my back on that shit immediately. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I found metal music, I was done. So next up, we've got uh, Pollution, the first musical track on the album. Right, yeah. Real fuzzy guitar there. People can listen to it yeah. on their own, you know? It's the best we can do. Using the good old new metal snare. It just pops like a motherfucker. I love it. Yeah. It's the whole thing. I love this guitar part. Maybe not here, but you know, on the yeah. album. <laughs> and then you've got, you've got that... Uh, that... Uh, background uh like the keyboard part. synth yeah, yeah that's that's i think very important integral to the song i really love that it adds a lot to it uh, my main note for this is welcome to rip city like it's it's here out of the gate i love oh. all the guitars on this song in particular um evidently the lyrics were about people who say the band's music is nothing but noise pollution which you kind of get from like the the previous, like the intro leading to it, you know, about the, the preacher right. and all that shit. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's got. Ah, it's. It's so hard. The, a big problem for me with this is like, it's so hard to try to listen to this as if I'd never, like if I could wipe this out from my brain and listen to it again for the first <laughs> right, time. Yeah. Know, I'm so. 
integrated to this song because I'm like, what would this sound like to someone who had never heard it before? Fuck. Fred's voice sounds so goddamn good. Yeah. He's screaming his fucking heart out. Mm-hmm. Ross Robinson was just in there lashing him with a fucking whip. Cat of nine tails. Yeah. Going after his ass like Jesus. Dude. So, since we're here, it yeah. just clicked in my brain. Limp Biscuit is not even the original name they were kicking around. Oh, right. Do you want to hear what the other ones were? Like hey, the other it. names tossed around? So, before Limp Biscuit was chosen as a group name... They had different ones they were tossing around, and they were trying to pick names that were like could potentially turn off the audience. That's a bit of that like punk aesthetic you were like talking about, right? Right. Where they were like, "Well, we're almost like counterculture, but also like still kind of somewhat poppy in a way." Sure. Um, peacocking a little bit. Um, so they were tossing around the following names: Gimp Disco, <laughs> Bitch Piglet. <laughs> Split dick shit. <laughs> and then possibly my favorite one. Instead of Limp Biscuit, we could be listening to the band known as Blood Fart. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, that's so good. It reminds me of that uh, that SNL skit where they're making fun of the ICP. Like <laughs> Mrs. Potato Dick. When they said gunt. gunt. Holy shit. Holy shit. You gotta love this. There you go. <laughs> I like when they do like studio stuff like that. They don't yeah, really, really yeah. do shit like that anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, and apparently on this album, like it was a, most, of, it wasn't planned. Like it was all like impromptu where they would kind of mm-hmm. go off, but they would like build something out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, or Ross would just like let the tape roll and they would kind of fuck around. Yeah. Uh, but later albums, they did that on purpose. They would like actually come up with like little interludes, mm-hmm. which don't feel as raw and as real. Yeah. Like that little part right there. You could, you, you could see Fred one night, late night at Indigo, like screaming, like back, 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 back. Mm-hmm. And then just not stopping, you know? And then being like, Oh, we should do a little like thing with that. Loop it. Yeah. And, you know? uh, or it's like recorded already. What can we do with this? Or some sure, shit, you know, right. just like tack it on at the end there. Um, I like that a lot. And uh, kind of like that. Like, was it the first Gorn album or maybe the second one or maybe both? I don't remember. Uh, but they would have like these little like musical interludes um, that would kind of it'd be after a song ends, but it bridges from there into the next oh, track right. or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, I like when they do that. And I feel like that's more of a Ross Robinson thing. Probably. Than yeah. we hear in other new metal albums or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that song's a good, uh, we'll, we'll hear it some, some, uh, on some other songs here, but, uh, I think what Lip Biscuit, one thing that they really, truly excel at is crescendoing a song. Like, uh, I think, I think that is a little bit or largely to do with like the way Wes approaches guitar playing. Cause instead of just being like, okay, well, here's the bridge, here's the chorus, here's the verse, you know, whatever, just, uh, rinse and repeat, you know? Um, they really like will build up 
Um, they do it a couple times on this, but they really do it heavy in mm-hmm. like um, Significant Other and um, uh, Chocolate Starfish, where they like you know will start out with all the elements there, mm-hmm. and then by like the last chorus, like they have built that shit so much that when it explodes, it's just like mm-hmm. fucking coming. <laughs> <laughs> they have great bridges. Yeah. Oh there's, yeah. There's a lot of stuff like especially when you watch. Um, some live performances where they stretch out that bridge and then Fred talks to the audience or whatever. And yeah. then sometimes Wes will like go in deep into the crowd and it's like, they'll build back up. And once they hit that final chorus, he's jamming hard so in heavy. the crowd and shit, you know, Wes is a it's goddamn good. monster. Like he mm-hmm. is, we, we, we talked earlier about how like we see all these bands like slow down or whatever. Like Wes has not lost a goddamn step. He is just as fucking crazy and energetic as he ever was. And he looks good. He looks fucking great. He looks like better than he did when this album came yeah. out. Like he, he looks, looks healthier. <laughs> he looks like he's in a better mood. Yeah. He looks like he's, he can just like shred. Like he just seems like an easygoing guy. I don't know what his like mental state is or whatever, but like what he puts out there is like, let's have some fun. Let's just fuck around a little bit. You know, yeah. that type of thing. You know? Yeah. It's funny because um, like he's quit the band like at least twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe some other times he quit when he just came back. Uh, but uh, people would always, I remember like there would be interviews with him um, and they'd be like, well, was it because you and Fred didn't get along? Mm-hmm. He was like, honestly, I got along best with Fred out of everybody in that band. Like Fred and I were like brothers, like we would fight sometimes, but he would say at the end of the day, like Fred and I like had so much in common and we, we really did like vibe and connect on a personal basis mm-hmm. on a musical basis. We had a lot of differences. Um, but, uh, I think that it's, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I try to understand the dynamics because you got Sam and John who are cousins. And like we, oh, we mentioned that yeah. earlier. So they're, they're actually like first cousins. It. So they know each other and have been playing with each other for, you know, ages. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but Wes has always said that the person he got along best with was always Fred mm. in the band, which is not what you would expect, especially when you consider, you know, Wes seems like a much more like mature musician, generally like, uh, then Fred would be considered <laughs> yeah. uh, more serious quote unquote musician. Um, but I, I think that it's funny to think of, you know, them like musically not getting along, but then it seems like in their videos, it's always like Fred and Wes, like goofing around with each yeah. other and fucking around. There's That's actually a, uh, there was a Fred, uh, Fred directed like a short movie uh, called the truth which I need to send oh, you. Oh, I think I've have seen, seen that before. Was that like on the, it's when like the album came out, you could like put the disc in your computer or whatever. And it would like oh, play that, maybe. that video. It's well, like 20 minutes or some shit. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like, he's like a, uh, he's like a priest or like, oh, a, or like a prosperity this is a preacher. Thing. Okay. Uh, no, I've not seen this. Uh, so yeah, it's like he comes to a, like a small town and it's like a preacher, but he's not like, it's not God specific. Mm-hmm. Really. It's not like Christian. It's, it's, you have to watch it. It makes more sense if you see it. But Wes plays this like sheepish little like townie that's just like, boy, I would really like to get up there and see what this whole thing's all about. <laughs> like it's so fucking. And he's the only other member of Limp Biscuits that's in the movie. Oh, it's just, okay. But uh, it's so fucking funny because Wes is just so goddamn charming. Um, and clearly they the two of them get along because this yeah. is recorded much like after even. I'm assuming this would have had to have been for unquestionable truth. Probably. Yeah. Um, if truth was part of it. I would imagine that. Right. Be, so, yeah. 
uh yeah it's uh the 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 two of them i think are two totally different people but like have found like they just get along i mean it's other. like when you're in a relationship with like a significant other uh maybe a foreshadowing of things he said the word i don't know <laughs> but we get there i don't know uh but uh, you know like my wife and i we don't uh like any of the same stuff or each other really but <laughs> when it comes to like paying our bills on time or you know uh that's pretty much it uh, uh <laughs> we can do that we yeah. can do that you know we we uh fill in each other's gaps or whatever so hell that's yeah you do hell yeah dude fucking spackle that shit hell yeah dude i get pegged so often dude you don't even know dude dude, dude hey no no that uh-huh <laughs> you know when you came over today and you're like do you have any long popsicles i was like maybe yeah, you like smiled real big. Uh-huh. I'm still smiling. <laughs> I'm grinching out over here. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So next up, we've got uh, Counter Fight. Yes. Counterfeit. This is the first song from Biscuit you and I ever heard. Yeah. I love this intro. God, it's so good. Oh, I never uh, asked you on the the track intro. What do you think about that being an intro for the album? It's fine. I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's not like a. I mean, pollution is a banger. It's, a, it's not slapping you in the face right away, like like corn or whatever. But um, I think it works because it's like hip hop uh, albums that always have like little interludes, you know, kind of yeah. like that. So I feel like maybe that's what they were kind of going for. Could be. That's a good point. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like it. I think this song could have been like a good album opener, just like oh. the way it starts so quiet, you know. Yeah. And then it turns to this. God, the sound of this guitar. I know. Like the first time I heard this, I was like, <laughs> "You can't do that!" I'm still in disbelief. Yeah. I still can't believe it. It's like, like twang almost. I almost don't even know what I'm hearing. I know. It sounds like if you shoved a car horn in a tuba and then sent it on a rocket car to hell. That's what it sounds like, you know. This bass line. Mm-hmm. And then you get the organ come in. Right here. Oh. I think that's lethal. He's like varying the speed on his turntable. He's got like a oh, turntable. Okay. That makes sense, yeah. Oh, baseline. Yeah, that guitar is wild yeah. sounding. I don't, need, I don't know how you get that tune, that tone out of your guitar. Uh, no one knows. It's like a tone that you normally wouldn't want. <laughs> like, right, yeah. It's like, oh, I fucked up a note, but he's just, like, writing it. Well, that's kind of like how metal was created, right? It was Tony Iommi in Black Sabbath. He had, like, a, he worked at some factory or whatever, and he got the, the tip of his middle finger cut off. So when he was trying oh. to play a, a chord... He like hit the wrong one when they were jamming or whatever, and they were like, "Oh, we like that, Sharon, we like that," <laughs> and so they just like kept it. That was, yeah. <laughs> they snorted up the tip of his finger. <laughs> they got inspired, and uh, that's how metal came to be. But uh, evidently, the lyrics about this and the song "Counterfeit" are about local bands that began to copy their style, which is was eye-opening to me because I see people say Limp Bizkit copied Corn's style. Which I see how they got there, but to me, to you, to the elite listeners, <laughs> they sound wildly different to Completely me. Completely different. You know? The, yeah. the, the hip-hop drumming is there, 
the uh, rough vocals are there. Yeah. There's some distorted guitars, but like that's kind of that's where it falls off, you know. Right. Oh, and it drops out, and it's just that clean drum and bass. That's the best part is they know when like Wes and Lethal were like, okay, you guys just carry yeah. this for a minute. And John Otto is a phenomenal drummer. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal drummer. Oh yeah. Like I didn't realize how complicated or how complex his drumming was until I saw a you know like the drum cam videos that you see. That's what I'm talking about, yeah. like a build up. Like they're so good at building this fucking thing and just exploding oh sorry okay yeah like the guitar here too yeah it's like a variation on what he was playing earlier you know he's really fun good about oh, without that. the twang yeah fuck yeah it's just like chaos i know with recorded oh. chaos good shit dude Sorry, what were you saying? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember what I was talking about. Uh, but it's probably a good and salient point. <laughs> I don't know. It'll probably come back oh, to sure. me. Uh, that Lincoln Park song was called "Given Up." By the way, it finally came to me. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> now, and Fred's voice sounds like just so fucking raw. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, the Ross Robinson effect. But Jesus Christ, like he, his voice is just. Does Ross Robinson spell his name R-A-W-S-S? Ross Robinson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, of course. So this is like a little like fun thing they have at the end of the song. Oh. With like the snare and the yeah. drums and shit. Oh, and there's like beatboxing. I mm-hmm. forgot about that. I didn't. I never forget anything about this album. <laughs> Just like a fun little thing they included in there. Yeah. They didn't ever like play this part on the radio. They probably no. had like a radio edit that they they went with instead of the album version anyway. But yeah. even still, it's just like oh, it's fun. It's like a fun little like come down from the the chaos that we oh. just heard. You know, God, mm-hmm. yeah. Like you were saying, like they they do those bridges really well, but like that song is built and constructed in a way that just you know continuously builds and builds and kind of ebbs and flows but then mm-hmm. towards the end just i mean fucking grips you by the balls and squeezes mm-hmm. man oh god this song gets me so fucking pumped it's a great first single i absolutely see why they chose it oh yeah it's great it's a fucking great song i, I never get tired of hearing it i, I don't do, hear it that often either yeah yeah it doesn't it doesn't get as much play as you would think for mm-hmm. how big that they are and what words am i saying um <laughs> i do i i ride i ride mountain bikes a lot I, I always, some people say they can't listen to anything while they ride. I always love to have one little earbud in, mm-hmm. uh, so I can, it just gives me some kind of like rhythm and, and drive, you know, as you're, as you're, uh, pedaling. And you uh, love show tunes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. F- yeah. oh fucking course. Yeah. All I listen to is deep cut Oingo Boingos. That's right. <laughs> no, I listen to this album a lot, um, because it just, it gets me like even the slower parts have like a groove to them. So like mm-hmm. they help you keep kind of a rhythm while you're pedaling. Uh, but then like, I can never help it whenever like it builds and builds and explodes. Mm-hmm. It just gives me a burst of energy. Yeah. Like where I am like ripping through shit. Ugh. dude, speaking of got to go fast. I don't know if you've <laughs> seen Sonic two yet. It just hit Paramount plus yesterday. 
Oh, it's oh really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. They, they had like a forty-five day theatrical window for it or whatever. And Wait, it, it came out in theaters? Yeah, like in March sometime, right? Or yeah, I thought it hadn't even come out in theaters yet. Maybe early April. Whatever the case, it's on oh, Paramount okay. Plus now, so you <laughs> wow. watch it. Did you see the first Sonic movie? Oh yeah. The the second one is like it's still pretty good. It's not yeah. great. I feel like it was like uh, hyped up there, but it's still enjoyable. Anyway, I say all that to say. Limp Biscuit gets name checked in the movie, but it's like for like a oh, really yeah, and Jim Carrey says it. <laughs> Fuck yes, yeah. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, but it's like I I have a feeling with the the Biscuitsance that we're all living through yeah. that maybe that line doesn't hold up as well. Um, I I feel like there's going to be a resurgence oh. for for the Biscuit. Yeah, yeah it's a it's a punchline. People joke, are going to hate this movie now because of. The- <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a punchline thing but even though i'm like a huge limp biscuit fan i was like oh oh i'm just happy someone said it you know right said, glad they said those two consecutive words together speaking of sonic have you seen uh, chip and dale oh fuck yeah dude oh my god ugly sonic uh Jesus you, Christ. you had texted me that you yeah. you watched it and that the voice for ugly sonic was perfect and i couldn't recognize it during the movie and i didn't want to look it up while i was watching it because right. i didn't want to ruin any other cameos that might be in there sure um, but yeah, it was, uh, Tim, not Heidecker. No, uh, Tim. Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh fuck. I'm just yeah. picturing him in like a vocal booth, just like recording <laughs> ugly sonic vocals. I don't understand how some of those cameos show up. In I this know. Fucking thing. It's wild, right? Batman is in this fucking yeah. thing. And it's not like it has his name on a poster of him, like with laser vision going against ET. And that's funny enough, but then they have like. Uh, Yorma from the Lonely Island voicing yeah. Batman. Like that got the, the I think the, the biggest laugh for me was Batman versus E. T. Like when it showed the poster <laughs> or whatever. I was <laughs> I laughed out loud literally on that one. Dude, I knew Ugly Sonic was in this movie, and oh, even really? still when he showed up, I was like, oh, oh! I like fucking amazing. Banshee esque well came from my body. <laughs> then he comes back. He was in there more than I thought. <laughs> And Tigra like shows an integral, up. Tigra from like Earth's Mightiest Heroes or whatever. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was like that specific art style that was. It, like it's that from that Avengers she... show that uh, came out uh, before the the MCU. Right. It was yeah, like yeah, in yeah. the early two thousands, really or bad. late nineties, or whatever. Yeah. But like they they didn't have the rights to Captain America, Thor, or Iron Man. You yeah. know the big three. <laughs> yeah, it was like so there's like Man and Tigra and, and Vision, Vision and Hawkeye. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But yeah, I was cool. I was surprised to see all that I, stuff. It, Great movie. It, done in the Loved art it. style of that show. That's what I love was like the art style was accurate. It wasn't yeah. just like, let's draw a tigra. It was like, we need to like mimic that weird ass style that we did on that one show. Oh, 100%. And then uh, when Roger Rabbit shows up, it's not only the, the guy who voiced Roger Rabbit yeah. from the original movie, but they had like the original animator where one of the oh, original really? animators come in and, and do that part. Cool. Yeah, which is so fucking rad. And it looks... Like fucking Roger Rabbit. And the He-Man and Skeletor. That was like oh, the original, uh, fucking what's his name? I can't think of his name. Joe Armstrong or something like that. Uh, but um, it was a guy who did like. Skeletor, he, right? Because he does both voices. Oh, okay. He-Man yeah. And Skeletor, yeah. But yeah. He, it was like the guy from the old show like was actually doing the voices. Oh, my him. God. And, you know, spoilers for this movie, obviously. <laughs> for Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. It. We're <laughs> deep into it. But when we got to the end of the movie and it ends with Darkwing Duck, I almost tore my house apart. <laughs> I was so excited. I knew as soon as I saw that happen, I was like, fucking Brit's going to love this. I 
I almost just punched a hole through my television yeah. with my dick. I was, was a just funny fucking movie. It was good. Oh my god, it's so well written. Yeah, like even if you took all the cameos out, that is like a, a fun novelty. Sure, but like the the story itself is fun and the jokes and there are solid and whatnot. Yeah. But god damn it, I can't believe it got made. I, I don't know. understand. It's crazy. Like how did they get the clearance for all of those cameos? I don't like Warner Brothers let them use Batman. Like it was so wild. Like there was somebody wearing like a, a Bugs Bunny costume in the movie that's like bugs in his uh space jam jersey it just says like bugs across the back oh, really? it's, it's like a uh, comic-con convention goer or whatever yeah. so it's not actually like an animated bugs bunny in this movie yeah but it's like you know it's cl- it's like a nod to it it's close enough right but, and you're like oh, okay well yeah it's warner brothers and i feel like D- uh, uh disney and warner brothers have a further chasm to bridge now than they did back in the the 80s when they made who framed roger rabbit but then Batman shows up. That's he's like the big dog. That's yeah. like the cash cow for Warner, Warner Brothers. You know. Yeah, the movie is. I really enjoyed it. Me too. I have to watch it again because there was so many things that happened that I'm like I'm missing references on references here. So I started watching a, a YouTube video where they were talking about like all the cameos Jesus in the movie or Christ. whatever. But like some of it was long. inaccurate. It was like oh. half an hour, but some of it was like that's not who that character was. Right. I don't know if I could trust this video anymore. Yeah. That, and I, you think you can lie on YouTube? You can't get away with this. So anyways, <laughs> I've destroyed this this guy's family and career. I'll never be able to eat or whatever again. <laughs> anyway, I feel like we're stuck on Rescue Rangers. Let's move on to the next track, which is called Stuck. <laughs> Who can plan this, guys? Uh, we write all these episodes out. We're performing them line. We're reading from a script. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. That's why it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next one's stuck. What? I love this bass line. Oh, so good. And uh, the, the drums. I mean, we keep singing the praises, but truly they're absurdly talented musicians. All of them. I, uh, I think I figured out what Sam Rivers' problem was, why he had to have that back surgery. It's probably from patting himself on the back so hard from writing this bass line. <laughs> it's so good. Good joke. It, it, good it, joke. It, it just... <laughs> good vocals, too. I'm like, lyrics, I should say. I'm a, look, I know we talk shit about... Everyone talks shit about Fred Durst's vocals, but like, just as a blanket statement, it does not bother me. And I do like it right. as... I like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's actually... Oh. I read... Oh, those drum fills. Yeah. The kick drum sounds great on this. Yeah. Like a lot of Ross Robinson, Robinson, Robinson. Tim Robinson. <laughs> uh, a, a lot of Ross Robinson produced heavy music. I have you a think This is slick back. This is pushed back. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> From I think you should leave. Yeah. Right. Um, but a, a lot of Ross Robinson produced heavy music. I feel like the kick drum is lacking, but it has some like decent. Punch on this album. There you go. Like, I, I want to hit up my friend Sky, we talked about before. His rap name is Dr. Freeman, so I'm just going to call him Dr. Freeman. Doc Free. Uh, 
he's like, he's like a real lyricist. Like, like he takes lyricism very seriously. I, I, I want to send him this, or like find some good lyrics on this album, and not tell him who it is. And just be like, what do you think of these lyrics? And get his honest opinion, and then be like, actually, that was Fred Durst. <laughs> You pop out of a cake, you be like, I got your ass. <laughs> it's it's so got a tight. They're all so tight. Is Scott a Durst denier? I think he just doesn't. I don't think he hates. He just doesn't like. Just doesn't even fuck with it. <laughs> so, a little fact about this song: uh, it was a part of a mini concert that Limp Bizkit performed for Korn in order to go on tour with them for the Family Values Tour in 1998 and 99. Uh, well, I imagine, like, for 98. Like, yeah. they probably already again. Um, the, <laughs> that's right. Play that uh, George Michael song again. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, the part, or the, the song is part of a... I put this note on here twice. I literally put this note on here twice. <laughs> Verbatim. That's on here. Okay. Copy and paste is your I- friend. I, I just want to hear the build-up for this one here. Because you know, they kept it going, then they drop it down. Start building it up. Guitar is so weird. I love it. It sounds like one of those like $20 guitars you buy from Walmart. <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. I love that. (laughs) Fucking love that. He just drops Yoda. (laughs) Yeah. This song starts off as being more hip-hop oriented, but then goes full biscuit oh, by the yeah. end of it, you know? <laughs> I love this part. Yeah. It's like a... Sounds like a wah-wah pedal. Yeah. You got some Eddie Brickle in there. You know where that that samples from? Uh-uh. It sounds like he's saying lethal. No, that's supposed no. to be. Oh. It's that song, uh, uh, throw me in the shallow water before I get too deep. Because what I am is what I oh. am is what you want. Oh, why? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never got that. Yeah, that's what that, that sample's from. Wild. I wonder if they had to they had to pay for it. They probably did, I think right? But like, so I would assume it's very it's a very clear like sample. Like, I didn't get it. <laughs> oh well, I love that that song. So damn, I got it. I'll have uh, to yeah, I'll have to yeah listen back to that original song. Yeah, you'll hear it for sure. Yeah, okay, for cool. sure. Did not even occur to me. Eddie Brickle and something. It's like Eddie Brickle and the 
Rick Death Tones. Or something. <laughs> uh, the funniest thing that's ever happened on TV. Pickle Rick. Oh, my God. I love Pickle Rick. Get you fucked. Sound, you sounded like Tim Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> God damn. That show is so fucking funny. Dude, 100%. Pables. <laughs> I love that skin because he's like, if anybody asks about the fucking tables, <laughs> immediately gets so mad that people are asking about tables. What's her job? Tables. <laughs> uh, I think I'm about to rewatch that. I I, I've already watched it like three or four times, like the second season, but I just, goddamn, I love all of them so much. Oh my God. If our- I didn't rig shit. <laughs> Corn cob TV. I, I, was, I was after season two. So for the listeners who may not understand or care about what we're talking about, we're talking about uh, a show on Netflix called "I Think You Should Leave." Yeah. It's created by Tim Robinson, and each episode is like twelve to fifteen minutes long. So very quick in and out, very very skip based. But there there is some like loose continuity. Um, to it here and there but all that said uh uh sorry my wife texted me when i was uh in the middle of talking and Are I, I being lost too loud? <laughs> no she was telling us that i guess my dog is freaking out because they get, can't get in here whatever <laughs> okay. whatever the case but um there's a season two came out and i was talking to my friend steven i was telling him about it he was like yeah i, I didn't watch the the first season, but I pulled up Twitter and all I see is coffin flop memes. <laughs> Man, that show is so good, dude. That that oh. episode in season two where it's like the the skit where he's like going into the mall and the old man <laughs> makeup. <laughs> Like, I don't want to do this anymore. He has a crisis. He just want to quit. He's like, no, I don't want to live anymore. <laughs> and then coffin flop is like the immediate next skit. It's just like, oh my god, eight minutes of just like powerful television. Oh. I hope it won an Emmy. I, I, I highly, if you like comedy, please go watch this. Um, I think it'll. I'm sure it's got renewed for a third season. I'm sure. Because I, I tend to see a lot of uh, references to it. So I think it was pretty popular. But it got a second season. Uh, but Jesus fucking Christ. That show is so goddamn good. It's like one of the funniest shows I've seen in probably this decade. I'd say it's the funniest show of the decade. Oh, yeah. I'll say it. All right, I said it. Fuck you. There's like a weird intervention thing at the end of the first season that takes place in a Garfield house. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... It's Jim so Davis is... <laughs> Oh my God! Oh Holy Jesus shit. Christ! You know we're only like uh, I know we gotta go. Five, <laughs> we had to split this up. Five songs, five songs into this. We're, we just finished song four. Let's move on to song five. Right. Nobody loves me. Shut up! <laughs> this is gonna be a two-parter. <laughs> we can get through it. Yeah. You know, it'll just be an extra long episode. Yeah, people can listen to this in several parts over the course of two weeks. Sure. You know. Yeah. But it deserves it. We're in double digits now. Yeah. You know? We this legally we legally fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ten year olds can fuck now. These kids, you know? 
Babies having babies. This bass line has like a growl to it, you know? Yeah. I like that a lot. He's using some effect, but it's real pretty pretty subtle. Mm-hmm. He's not relying on the slap, uh, which... Oh, too soon. I feel like a lot... Will, stay in your seat. <laughs> God, Fred just screaming his little goddamn heart out. Mm-hmm. This is where I think his whininess works. Where I think it doesn't sometimes in later songs. Well, later albums, rather. Speaking of whininess, evidently my little dog is whining and wants in here real bad. So uh, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna let him in while you I'm continue to listen to okay. to this. Nobody loves me. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, fuck. Fuck. Um, Limp Bizkit. Um, oh, Jesus, I'm fucking crashing here. Uh, they uh, have a. Uh, they're uh, they're band. They're a band. Uh, they play. Uh, God, Prince not here. I don't know. I'm fucking floundering. Uh, they play. They play music. Okay, they play music. Uh, uh, new me- uh, new metal. God damn it, new metal. Uh, f- um, they play new metal uh, with the uh, uh, with guitars in the bass. Uh, guitars, bass, and drum and a. Fleet uh, DJ uh, Fred Fred Durst. Oh God, he's back. All right, Thank I'm God. back. How would everything work out? The- Smooth, dude. Okay. There was no there was no problems. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, evidently, the lyrics to this song are mostly a complaint from Durst, who reports that he doesn't get the credit he or the band deserves, and sometimes it seems like the world is against him. That's a big theme with young white men in the late nineties. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think this is how the band became the poster board for this sen- sentimentality. You know. This part, he freely admits that he's doing like a, a tool thing here. Maynard James Keenan, yeah. yeah. Uh, he said that uh, the intro has elements of the Undertow song, Dick, good lord, Disgustipated, or whatever. That was like the influence, I guess. Huh, okay. Which I never thought about. And then I read that and heard this part of the song. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Is that build? God, the guitar on this dude. Just fucking like it's like squealing because he's beating the shit out of it. And all of this is no pick. Fucking wild. Crazy. I like this little it drops out right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know when we were talking about the uh, adrenaline, that first Deftones album, and. We talked about, like, obviously the, the sound of that album sounds, uh, what do you call it, bad. And uh, there was a, something you and I had come across in a, some Wikipedia article or whatever that said that the band was aiming for more of a garage band type of feel to oh, it. right. And I feel like this is what they should have done. Like, this has that garage band feel to it, but yeah. it doesn't sound bad. It sounds good. And I... I was wondering like what a Deftones album, especially like an early Deftones album, would sound like if Ross Robinson produced it. And it turns out it would have sounded good. <laughs> I would like her on the fur. <laughs> it's quite good. <laughs> good reference. Mm-hmm. Sick ref. Hell yeah, dude. Wait, was was uh, around the fur not Ross Robinson? It was, was wasn't it? Around the fur? I'll yeah, look into it. I'm almost positive it was. We're going to let this one just roll through here. Um, so coming up next, we've got Sour. That was Nobody Loves Me by Limp Biscuit. So here is Sour, which I think this is a very interesting song. Oh, wow. 
Love the guitar on this. Oh, yeah. It's played by, like, just, like, hammering tap, his fingers yeah, or whatever. Tapping. There you go. Hammering. It's the same thing. But, but here's... This is the song I was saying was... Um, uh, lethal does a lot. Listen to the, the verses. Real quick, Deftones, uh, Around the Fur was produced by Terry Date. Terry Date. Okay, yeah. This sample that Lethal plays. Yeah. The scratches. I have this sample on a record. Oh, yeah? And when you and I were in a band, our most recent band, Swagzilla. Oh, uh, who could forget? Uh, we had a song. I don't remember which song it was. It was like nine years ago. or <laughs> So I don't remember which one it was, but I would use this was the main sample I would scratch in the song and it was in reference to this song I was like I got a lip biscuit sample oh, I'm awesome. gonna use it and I did is that a man going oh. I can tell what it is which is why I love it so much it just sounds like a weird sound you know see he's doing like he's not just scratching but he's doing little like effects and stuff it's imperfect, which is what I like about yeah. it. The scratching goes so well with everything else. Mm-hmm. It just fits nicely in there, you know? Yeah. I'm guessing this is one of the ones that Scott Bolden played on. No, uh, not according oh, wow. to what I... I Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Okay, I was going to say, there's correct. definitely some extra stuff going on there. I was thinking we were further into the album than we were. But yes, yeah. Uh, tracks one, two, and six. <laughs> this is like a, a good place in this album to have this song because it's like yeah. slower. It gets more aggressive on the choruses. But, you know, it's like a, a chill song. Yeah. More chill than uh, uh, Stuck. I would say, but I think there was some like MTV show where Limp Biscuit was performing the song live, but it was like almost an acoustic version of it. Plus, DJ Lethal had his shit because oh yeah, DJs we have to be plugged in. There's not anything we could do. I want to see this live because I'm wondering what what Fred plays or what Wes plays here. I mean, is he just playing chords? I'm trying to pick out like I was like guitar because uh, he was doing picking earlier, but I can't. Um, evidently, the song was about Fred's problems with his girlfriend at the time, so I think that was probably that like inspiration that he's mentioned before. Um, and evidently, there's a music video film, but never released. And uh, oh, really? yeah, huh? So. But uh, going back to that MTV performance I saw, it was them playing acoustically. So John Otto was sitting on one of those little like box, <laughs> box shit. drum things. It was yeah, just like tapping cool. on that, you know. Yeah. I kind of like when that happens. Yeah. Oh yeah, is this the the end of this? Yeah. Oh, outro kind of. <laughs> All right, that was sour. Coming up, we got stalemate. Oh, I get it. Because his girlfriend. She was stale. She was his mate. Oh, it was all right there. He was in front of us the whole time. We've done the podcast. <laughs> We've figured out new metal. <laughs> the thing I really like about this song is it reminds me of an episode of The Simpsons where you have, like, the beginning of an episode has this, like, weird, like, thing that happens. And 
that event causes this chain reaction yeah. that becomes this entirely different thing. Like the beginning of the song sounds like this. It sounds very like jam bandy. I love the cymbals on this. Very technical drumming. Oh, drums. that's what I was going to say about Great. John Otto. You can see some of these uh, live uh, drum cam videos online for like Ooh. various bands and drummers and everything. I watched one with John Otto. I didn't realize how technical and precise he was with his drumming. Yeah. And he's like throwing in splash cymbals and all this like extra like arm movement that I had no idea about, but he fucking rules, man. Our friend Adam, uh, who is a phenomenal drummer in his own right. Um, like uh, He's okay. Like he's a he's a classically trained drummer, as in like he uh, has like a lot of formal training and has played in like on a lot of like technical jazz compositions and everything. Yes. Very, very good drummer. Incredible. Um, he he said that the hardest drum parts that he's ever learned were Limp Biscuit. Some Limp Biscuit songs. He yeah. said they're so insanely tricky and technical mm-hmm. um, that they're very difficult to learn. I mean, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. I think people get too focused on Fred Durst and his whole thing. Right. And they don't really pay attention to the musicianship going on in the rest of the band, you know? But Yeah. Yeah. I like this song a lot. Oh. I, I would say Same. that this song, when we get to it, um, has the best bridge on the album. Or at least the one I like the most on the album. Is it the one that you think you're This weird little, like... Oh. What? I don't even know what that noise is, you know? I, I can tell if it's like a an effect pedal on a, the bass guitar. Strange. Well, it's like. Oh yeah, I think it's the just the. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Ross Robinson is like saw for everything. We're like, I just hook it up to the pedal, guys. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And Fred's vocals again. God, I wish he would have kept this style. It's kind of more raw punk style going forward. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Every time I hear this, I get like goosebumps, dude. Yeah. Tempo changes, you know? Oh, that's a weird place for the drums to come in. Yeah. It's a really tricky rhythmic. Pulls it off. Fucking perfect. Effortless. God damn. Now, outside of the... I love the guitar, this guitar part right here. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I didn't even notice that until you mentioned it. Again, another perfect build-up. This is like when uh, Korn did Fage It and they uh, <laughs> yeah. then like the double build up in it, you know? 
You know, outside of the, the very last track on this album, which is like a jam song that's 16 minutes long, <laughs> this is the longest like actual song on this oh, album. Okay. 16 Makes sense. or six minutes, 15 seconds. Yeah, it's a great buildup. This whole song is like a like a just a, a slow kind of ebb and flow buildup, and then just really just again, I've said it, you know, like on five or six songs so far, but. It's unbelievable how much this gets me pumped. Like, yeah. When, like, even though I've heard this album a million times, and I even the past two weeks since we recorded last, I've listened to this album probably like six times all the way through. Sure, yeah. I still get... I'll be just fucking working sitting at my desk, and man, I get pumped. I'm just like, God, this is so good. It really man. does like, get your blood flowing. It does. This album, you know? Gets your gooch up, man. <laughs> it really does. Gooch status. Gooch status. Up, up sir. <laughs> up, sir. Um, all right. All right. Is that the end of that one? Okay. That is the end of Stalemate. You want cool. to pause it? You want to... Oh, I, I got nothing else on this one. If, yeah, we just roll through to track eight, which is called Cluck. <laughs> to all the chickens in the audience, we Bob got a little treat for you. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I love this so much, man. Sounds good. <laughs> We're dancing right now. Brent's doing his uh, good. Simpsons <laughs> Cypress Hill dance again. Uh, evidently, the songs and lyrics are about a pathetic alcoholic who roams the streets, and Fred Durst describes his messed up situation. I guess. I don't know. I don't care about the lyrics. I mean, like, it's fine, but, like, right. that's not... That's not what got me in the door. Yeah. You know? It just sounds good. It's This whole album is so aesthetically pleasing to me that it's just like, I don't, I, as long as they're not like outwardly hateful toward a group of people or whatever, like, I kind of sure. don't care what <laughs> yeah, the lyrics right. are about, you know? It's like, this song is about pop rocks. Okay, great. Fuck yeah. <laughs> but perfect for me. I love the scratching here. I love that it like gets it gets messy like right along there with everything else. Mm-hmm. Like it's not clean. It kind of goes a little off the rails a little bit. I, I noticed this a lot with those first two Slipknot albums. Uh, Slipknot is the band that has a DJ, and the there's some Im- imperfections in the scratching there yeah. as well that they just leave in. That's like Ross Robinson's aesthetic, you know. Right. So it, I don't know. There's something about it that works, and it just it, you can you can tell there's like a person behind what you're hearing instead of yeah. um, being so like perfectly cleared up. It almost doesn't yeah. sound like Fred. I know, right? How much they hate you. I think if he would have stuck with this style, he wouldn't have got the reputation he develops later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because no rappers took him seriously. Even though he paid a shitload of money to Red and Meth and DMX, to be honest. Yeah. Which, hey, if you're going to have rappers on your album, might as well be Red Man, Meth Man, and DMX. <laughs> might as well, yeah. Go hard into the pain on that one. 
Such a simple riff, but Wes manages to make it sound so unique. Oh, yeah, that low bass part. Yeah. Can't tell if it's a trigger or if that's just a... Sounds like be a trigger. a sample or of some sort, yeah. right? Like an 808 hit. Because that is a low... They're way more dynamic of a band on this album than in later releases, but sure. also I feel like this is a thing that other bands have been through, again, going back to Lincoln Park, where they kind of figure out a formula. Yeah. And, like, maybe that's not the best example of Lincoln Park, because that first, like, hybrid theory is very much like first course, first course, bridge, chorus, chorus, that that type of thing, you right. know? But for Limp Bizkit, uh, especially with their next album, it's not as varied as this. I feel like they stick to that kind of formula of, you know, the 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 standard rock or pop song yeah. structure for the most part. Whereas this is like, we're gonna do this for a while, and it's not like they don't do anything like wildly out of sequence, but they allow themselves to have like maybe there are two bridges on this, or maybe like we just end the song. Uh, that's very loud. We end it like more quietly, like this, and yeah. that type of thing. And with the <laughs> old sample, like yeah, <laughs> it gives the album so much variety. It does, yeah. Listenability. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that was a clunk. clunk. Oh, clunk. is it clunk? clunk? Clunk. I said cluck earlier. I right? thought you were joking. <laughs> oh no, I misread it. Uh, cluck. 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 <laughs> I don't hear a difference. <laughs> Chicken say clunk. clunk. All right. Yeah, sorry. Coming up next, we've got, uh, I would say, probably the smash hit off of this album, the one that everybody fucking knows. Mm-hmm. Um, Feef. <laughs> this was a huge... I feel like this song um, kind of set the tone for them going forward where it was like because some of the songs on here are pretty serious uh like both in like subject and with like you know how they approach the music but i feel like this was so just like bizarre that this energy carries over into the rest of their career yeah and people were and i hope still familiar with george michael's version of faith which is I like that song it by great. itself, and this is like <laughs> to me on par with, honestly, to my taste, if not better than yeah. the original, you know. But I like both. It's fine. But it's just so like it's better out- than the national anthem. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That's not even like a national anthem's not even in my like, top twenty. No, it's a beautiful song. Yeah, the rocket trickler. <laughs> like an unenthusiastic white person screaming this at What's stadium. funny is like the song musically is like so much more simple than everything else on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It just sounds like kind of a punk band playing. Yeah, a little bit. There's none of their crazy rhythms in here. Does have a really good example of because uh, he plays a little bit faster that uh, poppy snare that you yeah. had. Uh, mentioned earlier great name for a human poppy snare hey poppy snare oh i shouldn't do that sorry the, i don't even know what accent that was uh, so don't even worry about it, it. Was definitely there was a white person yeah 100 and then like this doesn't happen a lot on this album but there's a, like a featured dj scratching part and it's yeah. this and it fucking rules it does 
this cemented DJs. <laughs> this gave DJs careers for the next five uh-huh. years. <laughs> this album is why I ended up buying turntables. And yeah. then, it's pretty good reason. like, later, like, listening to Slipknot is the reason why I, like, really, like, got super focused on, yeah. on doing it. But this is just, like, so... Like, this is a cover of a song, but it's, like, a very Limp biscuit cover of it. <laughs> like, we hear some of these songs, like, uh, what was it, on the, the last episode we did, uh, Stand and Deliver by Sugar Ray, <laughs> yeah. when they covered that Adam and the Ants song. Yeah. Uh, it was, like, way too... Faithful, see, that's this peak podcasting. We've done it, but um, but this is like this is what I want from a cover song. I want yeah. the band I'm listening to and love. I want them to cover their version of whatever exactly. it is. You know, so this I don't is like do pull a Weezer where they just like try to sound exactly like fucking the band that they're covering. They do not like that. Metallica. Did you ever hear that Inner Sandman? Okay, that, that actually was pretty decent. I, I, I liked it uh, because I would, I would just imagine going to a Weezer concert and then they just start ripping out Inner Sandman. And it sounds like, <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck, this is Inner Sandman. And it sounds legit. Right. And like the vocals don't sound like James Hetfield, but it's like, I, I get what they're doing. Yeah. Then they go through the lead and everything and you hear the, <laughs> where it's like Buddy Holly. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. This yeah, is this is like checking your box of... Uh, the the fun lip biscuit of it all to right, me so right, I, right, right. I i gave that one a, a hard pass like i i love that uh, that cover of that song uh that that one is good but i've heard some other covers that they've done like the uh the africa song that's just like it sounds oh, like toto right. and you're like why even cover it i mean like if you're not going to put a little bit of your own spin in there yeah because that exists already if somebody <laughs> yeah exactly i don't really know what that's going to do to make somebody be like oh i want to go listen to that like Corn yeah. did a cover of Word Up. Have you ever heard that? Oh God, yeah. I forgot it's about like, that. I, I played that for Word my up. I played that for my wife and she was like, I think my parents would like this. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, probably. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, I got so wrapped up in listening to that cover of Faith that I, I forgot to say any of the stuff that I wrote down for this. So uh, originally Ross Robinson was originally originally <laughs> twice. Why did I do that? Uh, he was originally opposed to the band recording this cover of yeah. uh, the song, but eventually won over by hearing the heavier guitar parts and uh, the scratching on it. And um, I guess word is that George Michael hated this version of the song, but I don't know how true that is. Like, because like he would have to sign off Sure. On this being made, right? Like maybe he didn't hear it or I don't know how it works exactly. Maybe it's case by case. And, and I also read something that said like he wanted to do it with them live. Like he wanted to perform it with them live, but Fred thought it wasn't going to be a good idea or something like that. Read something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, or I, th- I think it was like flipped. I think Limp Biscuit wanted him to perform with him and he oh. was like, oh, I think it would be like weird if I got up there okay. and you were like, yeah, but he wasn't like out and like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. I, I really feel like that was like a media thing where they were twisting it or whatever, yeah. you know? Uh, they were really making that biscuit super Fake limp, news. you know? Fake news. Absolutely. Now, I don't know if you noticed this on your listen through of this album recently. We're, I, I think we're on the same page here, judging by solely by that sigh. Yeah. But uh, this original. Like on the original album, at the end of this song, there was a hidden track titled Stereotype Me that started around 2 minutes, 27 seconds. And on some digital editions, it's just like another track on the album. But it's not on Apple Music. I didn't see it on Spotify with that on there. Don't worry, I've got it. 
the Ross has you covered here. Yeah, this was like a negative, like CDs used to be able to play like negative songs. Oh, okay. Uh, so this was like, I think you had to rewind. If you were playing it through, it would play, but like if you went to that song, you'd have to rewind it to go back to hear something along those lines. Yeah, it's not on any streaming services. It was like, why would they take this off there? But I think it's probably due to some like weird publishing rights thing where like, oh, we we tacked this at the end of a cover song that we have to pay royalties or there's some licensing fee. Yeah. So anytime we want to make money off this song, which is like probably per play now in the age of streaming, right? Yeah, right. Then they're not making money off of it, so they just took it off there entirely. Yeah. But I don't, I don't really see that as readily available. Like, why don't you just tack it on there? Call it a bonus track. Like, you might as I mean, well, yeah. Throw it on the end or tack it onto it. I would have just because it doesn't really have. It's got like one verse and then just kind of some ambient stuff. So I'm wondering if they were just kind of like, well, fucking cares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could be. But, yeah, because it was. It, it almost seems like an outtake of. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Whatever. Sounds like another one of them classic Limp Biscuit fuck arounds. <laughs> Where were you playing that from? Uh, YouTube. <gasps> you? I had, I had YouTube. it pulled up ready to go. Perfect. Mon frere. I, I meant to text you about it like earlier this week. I was like, what am I doing? He knows. I'm way ahead of he, you, bro. He fucking knows. I fucking know, dude. I, I knew when I listened to this on Apple Music, I was like, something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like my butthole puckered. I was like, oh. Why? There's something wrong here. So, uh, speaking of butthole pucker, let's move on to track 10, Stink Finger. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. Whoops. That was the end of Faith. Uh, stinky Finger. The song's lyrics describe Limp Biscuit singer, writer, and frontman Fred Durst's conflicts with his neighbor, who he hated. The Stink Finger itself refers to the middle finger gesture, a.k.a. flipping someone off. And if you think I copy and pasted that directly from Wikipedia... He didn't. No, it was from Genius. <laughs> he copied and pasted it from Genius. One, two, three, triple deke. Another one where his vocals are just so fucking on point. I think they do like some. They add an effect on it. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's some yeah, kind of like weird. They're 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 just so good instrumentally that they can like put these little things together that just That little guitar part is so so such a West thing. ambient floating but it doesn't sound like a guitar part it just sounds like a guitar making noise or something mm-hmm. it's so frantic and like manic sounding like he just totally drops that going forward it's a little a little disappointing but like on this album yeah he just has this like kind of frantic where he goes like it's like he's in control then he you know goes out of control and comes back in control and just kind of weaves it in and out and he's not exactly on the beat which is good like 
Well, that's some of that Ross Robinson imperfection, right? Yeah, like you right. get to hear the ramp up, the ramp down, the little like voice cracks. Yeah, that's what that's what I love about it. You know, like if this were like a modern band, they would just have every bit of this polished. Yeah. You know, you take out all the kick drums, you re- replace it with some like like kick drum library <laughs> file or whatever that right. you have on there. Kick drum dot wave. <laughs> yeah. Dot gov. The bass. Mm-hmm. Oh, is Night Court on? No, it's a Limp Biscuit album. <laughs> Stinkfinger. Popping that snare. We'll just let it roll through to this album. Really flows. Like, it really does. Yeah. It, all, all the songs almost just kind of blend into each other. Did you say this song yeah, or this album flows? Maybe I did. House. Maybe I didn't. Fear fact reaction. Kick off this new joint here for all my homies. Why this song is called Indigo Flow, track eleven. And this uh, this album lyrically expresses. Such a West riff. It expresses the gratitude the band has towards those other bands and uh, people who helped made them get signed and become professional musicians. And you can hear it. Like, this is one of those things. um, You don't hear this a whole lot anymore, but uh, I like when bands do this thing where it's like, we're going to go from this date to this date to this date to this date. And this is kind of like what this is, you know, but it's like touring their homies, essentially, you know? He shouts out the road crew, which nobody yeah. shouts out the road crew, but the road crew, trust me, they work hard as fuck. If you ever work with like road crew people, those people are 14 hour days, day after day after day for no recognition normal. Hey man, road crew. I had a joke there I was going to make, but I fucked it up immediately. Back from the sickest road crew. Ray. They've already like referenced Deftones. Well, probably. Big K. You don't need to come home, sweetie. You just stay out there. All of your backwards hats have turned right, right side forward. They turned. Wes is so good at making the... Dude, that creepy little guitar. Yeah. In this part. Scratching just goes yeah. wild. Everything explodes. This song has a similar like vibe to Faith in a way, uh, like structurally speaking, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah kind of. But yeah. like, that's fine. I'll fucking take it. Yeah. I fucking rule so hard, dude. Yeah, you're right. Because that guitar is just kind of like haunting, and it's yeah. really the bass guitar that's making it like chug. Right. Wes, Wes's guitar is, he focuses so much on atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think a lot of guitarists don't even fucking think about atmosphere. Because mm-hmm. Wes playing, here, let's, let's, Wes playing like two notes can fill out the, the, the atmosphere better than a, a guitarist who is just playing, you know, a, basic ass guitar part like it has no atmosphere to it it's just a guitar part where he's playing notes in a progression that's where i i think 
when we referenced it earlier, Wes, when he talks about how he's not like your normal guitar player, how he mm. builds a song rather than writes guitar parts. Yeah. I think it's a good example of it where he's just playing like, what is that, like four, five, six notes maybe, mm. uh, just kind of spaced out with like a very specific kind of different sounding pedal effect. Uh, but it adds so much more than if he was just playing like, you know, a fucking normal riff. It's yeah, if he was playing totally like a, a series of chords, like in like standard like, rock music, yeah. it wouldn't have that power to it because this is percussive. It adds to the rhythm of the whole song. It yeah. adds to the soundscape of it. It's uh, like a, a hip hop sample in yeah. that way. You know, it gets looped back. It uh, n- now listening to it and talking to you about it, it reminds me a bit of. LP when he produces tracks for Run the Jewels because you have these like weird little sounds that get thrown yeah, in there. Yeah. You got these like deep cut samples that he good... like chops up and like throws in there. That's yeah. what Wes is doing. So basically, I just need Wes to join Run the Jewels. Jesus, fuck. my dick can't handle that. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot handle that. Lose my goddamn marbles on that. All uh, right, LP is one of yeah one of my favorite producers. Period. He's Full and stop. he's fucking incredible. Like I don't yeah. I don't know how he does it. I know, it's insane. I I've seen some things where uh, it was like an older video where it showed him like just like it was like a series where they would like go around to different producers and be like build a beat. Oh yeah, and, uh, it's uh, on Mass Appeal's okay, network. That's them, where yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and he does one of those, and it's mm-hmm. so fucking fascinating because you hear just like him like grabbing things from here and there and like layering it layering it layering all of a sudden you're like holy shit that's a fucking lp like that is the most lp ass beat i've ever heard yeah (laughs) like Mm -hmm. and uh rhythm roulette is what it's called okay that makes sense Mm -hmm. and they were given like a limited amount of like samples or something like that was that right i've seen some of them where they like go in and they put on a blindfold and they like just dig through and they pick out one record two records and then a final third record like well let's see what i can make with this sometimes they just like kind of run their fingers through it you know they can see visually but um yeah they really just like kind of go through listen yeah. to each of the records pick out things sometimes it says innocuous is just like i like this kick drum you know so i'll take that right um, sometimes it's like a string section and they distort it and chop it up and all this stuff it's really yeah. impressive how they do that i wish i wish i guess you can still like sample as much as you want and you just can't charge for the album but I feel like the fact that people can't sample to their heart's content and have to get every fucking little like dingle dangle on every you know track, they have to get it cleared before mm. they can release it, uh, really sucks. There was a, an album by Pitch Shifter called www.pitchshifter.com. Oh, yes. That's incredible. I'm we'll, familiar. We'll eventually get to it. It's, yeah. on, the, it's on the timeline. Um, but the- Maladjusted. Or was that? Freaks. Yeah. Uh, At the end of that album, the last track on that is a sample pack they gave away. And they said, you don't have to pay us for it. We just ask that you credit us for it. And it was like literally every bit of instrumentation, um, not every exact sound that you hear on the album, but like a lot of, there's like three or four kick drums, three or four snares. There's some like chugging guitars. There's some like weird little like, uh, didn't you samples and shit? Didn't you like divvy all those out and put them on like an Akai sampler at one point? Not all of them. I I grabbed, some, grabbed some of them. them. Okay. Yeah, some weird little like electronic flourishes and sure. that type of thing that I would use and like failed to like put them in an actual song that was made. <laughs> but like they were there just in case sure. I wanted them. You know. Sure. Yeah. But uh. But yeah, it's it's cool that they 
people can do that. Like maybe right. that's like per record label contract or whatever. Because like well, like Paul's boutique was the one that like got it entirely. Like yeah, Beastie Boys. I would almost yeah. say fucked it up because it was going to happen eventually, anyways. Mm-hmm. But like that was like the last one they were just like we're just going to grab samples from everywhere and throw them together, and here it is, and it was gorgeous and glorious the the beastie boys and the dust brothers walked into a record store and they were like we'll take it and the record store owner was like what it's like all of it just everything you see before you we're gonna take it all i read that that album is made entirely from sampling outside of the vocals and it's like i finally listened to it i hadn't listened to it before like last year oh really yeah oh wow i, I knew like a couple of songs on there yeah but i hadn't listened to the whole thing it's and a great I was like, album the entire thing is just samples yep. on samples but it's artistic and it fucking sounds good yeah yeah that's that's hip-hop that's Mm -hmm. taking taking bits and pieces from the trash bin and building art out of it Mm -hmm. like uh what's what's amazing about it it's uh danny brown who's a one of my favorite rappers jack jack (laughs) exactly um so he had a album i cannot fucking remember the name of it i think it was his last album that he had out actually like exhibition ah fuck um anyways um he said that the album sold pretty well, but he said that uh, he basically lost money on it because of how many samples they had to clear because he wanted it to be super sample heavy. Um, and, uh, uh, okay, Atrocity Exhibition. That was it right there, Atrocity Exhibition. Okay. Um, and it was like largely, I think more or less entirely built out of samples. And he was like, album sold well it was critically acclaimed he's like but i i didn't make any money off of it because we had to clear so many fucking samples mm-hmm. and everybody wanted you know ridiculous and they'd already like you know produced the song and so they had samples built in and they're like well if we can't get this sample we've got to fucking go grab another sample mm-hmm. and get that cleared and so and he he wanted to be like very specific about it and he wanted like specific sounds to come out and just the way that it all fell together was like <laughs> he lost money making that up yeah to take the head on it just for the just artistic out, merit yeah. of it but yeah. i love i love danny brown he's a fucking cool guy i heard that whenever he had to pay those different artists for all those samples they were like can you cash app as venmo can you just like wire transfer the money and he was like i don't want to pay that way and they were like how do you want to pay he's like die <laughs> I saw it coming from a while yeah, I know, away. I, that. Was, <laughs> was, I still like, enjoyed it. I'll watch this train wreck. <laughs> I laid way too much track for that uh, to not be a train wreck. Totally know? worth it. Uh, totally. Let's move on to track 12, which is Leech. Parentheses, demo version. Demo version. Which, to our knowledge, is the only version. Yep. Track. Mm-hmm. God. A, a riff this sweet, this far into the album. There's one... Well, I think you know the moment that I'm talking about that is just fucking nut in my pants. I, good. I thought it happened earlier in the album, so I was like, did we miss it? I was like, no, uh, I, you would know it if you heard it. <laughs> yeah. I love the energy of this song, you know? Yeah. Frantic as hell. I don't think Wes is playing right here. I love all the layered vocal effects. Yeah. That is grimy. 
Like, so far, like, front to back, this album fucking rips, man. Like, every song. I would have a hard time picking out A, my favorite song, and B, my least favorite song. I've been thinking about this for days. Like, (laughs) what is my favorite song? It's like, I don't know, man. Like, this is just one of these albums where it's like, what day is it? Like, exactly. What hour is it? Yeah. Here it comes. Brace yourself. Get ready. God. God. Did you have to do it to him, Fred? I love it. Because it's not just a, it's not just a scream. It's a. Yeah, it's like someone extending their tongue. Like no Muppet on the planet could do it because they have no tongue. You have to jettison your tongue out of your body. You know. (laughs) Just. God damn, that's so good. And the and the gun cock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fucking cherry on top of that thing. Like if you can imagine a gun cocking and then like a tongue slipping yeah. out of the barrel of the gun, that's the the noise it would make as it goes off. And then there's that the guitar squeal. Oh so yeah. It's like the and it's just god damn, it sounds so frantic but it's so tight at the same time like there's a, a song Slipknot has. It's a hidden track on their first album called Eeyore. And it's just like about this that long. It was like two minutes and change. And it's just like fucking almost pure energy. Yeah. And it's just like fucking I incredible. Think I, I think I remember it. Yeah. Oh, you'll hear it. I, I definitely listened to a lot of Slipknot back in the day, but uh, I, I just haven't I haven't kept up with it. It, it's I, mean, a lot. I need to go back and listen to it's it. It's a lot to keep track of. Sure. Yeah. Those first two albums are stellar, though. And then this this song is fine. How um, far into this track are we? We're a minute. A minute into it. So it's just been like hovering in the background. This is essentially, yeah. uh, the song ambience. is called uh, Everything. It's the longest track in the album, 16 minutes, 26 seconds. It's a recorded jam session, essentially. Yeah. And so it's just the band just kind of dicking around. There's not really even lyrics. There's some vocals, but I, I don't really... Yeah, I think there are actual lyrics. Uh, apparently, I, I read something a while back that was like they uh, were. It was like late at night. They had the lights out. They lit some candles, and they were just like, "Let's just fuck around and record something." And so this was all like done live in like one take. There was no, because um, usually in when you record music, you record like. Uh, the guitar part and then you record the bass part and then mm-hmm. you record the vocals and you kind of record them separately you may jam out certain things together you may play certain parts of the song together but you always go back and like redub over certain parts and you know cover up mistakes or whatever it may be but this one uh, legend has it that it's just all like one long take that they just kind of jammed out and were mm-hmm. fucking around with I can believe it I mean that's just um, you know if you've played in a band and you've had a jam session that's just oh yeah that's what this sounds that's, like it you sounds know exactly like it yeah. it's good it's fun i i take it back evidently per genius there are lyrics to it but it's honestly it's not important yeah right <laughs> like you know it's just just a jam session it reminds me a lot no of reason. jane's addiction which i know that uh fred is a big jane's addiction fan really yeah wow i never would because they did that i would for you song it was like on like the family values tour cd 
That's a Jane's Addiction song. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn, I had no idea. I really don't know anything beyond been caught stealing from Jane's oh, Addiction. I had a major Jane's Addiction. I had a whole like Perry Farrell phase for a while there. <laughs> yeah. Where I was listening to like Porno for Pyros and mm-hmm. Jane's Addiction and solo stuff. And um, there's some really, really good songs in there. Um, I really dig Jane's Addiction a lot, actually. You know, a lot of people love them. I've just not taken the time to really like explore them. Coming down the mountain. Is that Jane's addiction? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I think you'd be surprised at how heavy a lot of their stuff is. That's what I hear. Um, they're a lot heavier than you would think. Cause Perry Farrell's like, seems like the most like pixiest, like fairy man ever. I don't mean fairy like gay. I just mean like a, like a literal fairy. Yeah. Uh, he kind of like floats around the stage, that type of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, he's, uh, yeah, they got some heavy stuff. Especially the early stuff is, is a lot heavier than you would expect. But yeah, like coming down the mountain was pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that album, it's got a lot of a lot of good stuff in there. I really dig that first album. Is Porno for Pyros like wildly different musically? I think I've heard like, like um, one or two songs from them. Uh, they're a little bit more like jam band e, where Jane's Addiction is generally more focused. Uh, the the uh, Porno for Pyros will kind of get into some. I mean, so does, there's some Jane's Addiction that does it too. So no, I guess not. Not okay. wildly <laughs> different, but there is a there is a difference if you get into it. Perry Farrell has such a distinct voice <laughs> yeah. that it's I easily conflate the two of them just because I'm not fam- as familiar with their like instrumentation. Right. But when I hear his voice, I'm I can recognize it or whatever. Yeah, he's got a very recognizable. Um, as this album is uh, continuing to play, or the song is continuing to play, um, what do you think? What do you think about this album? Like, it's... Give it a one string. It's all right. <laughs> if that, you know? Just cut that string off there. Um, this is seven stringer. Yeah, of course. This is an eight stringer. Fuck it. <laughs> I mean, it's a West Borland guitar. Yeah, it's a, you know? it's a West Borland guitar cobbled out of, like, 16 other guitars. Yeah. Frankenstein together. The Patchwork Guitar by West Borland. Yeah, he's got some bizarre guitar. Bizarre guitar, band name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 11 o'clock, and I'm punchy right now. Um, it is, yeah. This is like the latest record we've had. Yeah, this is this is a long one right here. We still have half an hour to go. It's fine. Yeah, we've got to listen Just to this, song. this entire song. <laughs> or did it? Or did we even listen to it? You know? Oh God! Um, <laughs> what if it hadn't been recording mold? <laughs> Fucking kill myself. That's why I turned this monitor so we can yeah. both see it. Just so like one of us will catch it, right? Um, yeah. So uh, as you said, it's a seven-string album. Seven like uh, we. For new listeners, we rate our, our new metal albums zero to seven strings based on the new metal guitar string number of choice. And uh, yeah, seven strings all the way. Um, this piggybacking directly off of Sugar Ray's, Sugar Ray's Floored, we're living in a golden age. Oh, this is truly, this is we are truly blessed these days. Yeah. Yes. God loves us. But Nick, we'll next soon time abandon you're... Us. <laughs> Next time you're walking down the street and you see a new metal band just like walking down there, stop and say, hey, man, thank you for your service. <laughs> I done hurt Florida. I done hurt $3 bill, y'all. And I just really like what y'all's doing. We got people in this country that are spitting in the face of new metal musicians. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding you. They're coming back from overseas after playing tours and people are spitting in their faces. And this is an embarrassment for the American people. And I am truly, I want to kill hippies. <laughs> You know that never happened, right? 
yeah. that whole thing like people say oh these Vietnam vets coming back people spit in their faces never fucking happened seemed a little bit far fetched yeah. to me you know but because they were drafted well, let's not get into this <laughs> okay. it's 11 o'clock sure <laughs> it didn't happen um, let's talk about where new metal is okay. at this point because we didn't mention this after the floored episode but you know like we're kind of in an area or era where we don't need to like it's all this it hasn't yeah really we're kind of like swimming building, in the same waters but it here. hasn't yeah but I, I i think there's some new boundaries being pushed between this album and floored obviously we've got a dj as a main component yeah, of a band at this a point um and then more of a hip-hop influence especially with this album we've got uh, the continuation of cover songs being a thing. Yeah. And this time we've got an actual intro being made for this album. Right. Which is something that we'll see in later albums going forward. Yeah. So it's like we're, we're really checking off the new metal box. And even know? though this album didn't sell well, I would argue that it is massively influential. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say only on the level of maybe like the first and second corn albums. Like nothing else has been influential the way this album has. There were times in the early, or I'm sorry, late 90s, early 2000s, where there was beef between Slipknot and Limp Biscuit. Yeah. And they were like, man, they just really annoy us. We don't like Fred, yada, yada. But Wes is cool. He can always like, he can come up on stage. We can play with. Yeah, he can play with. They're like literally like, Wes can join our band. Yeah, that's fine. already sixteen people in it anyways. Might as well just add up like a seventeenth yeah. person. God, can you fine. imagine Wes playing with Slipknot? I dream about it. Yeah, that's. I wet dream about it. <laughs> Ugh. Um, it's a bad joke. I'm but then fading. <laughs> <laughs> it's eleven o'clock at night. Uh, time and temperature check. Sundowning. We both have COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. We're just uh, passing it back and forth. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like, it, d- despite the the beef between those those two bands at the time, there was like still some love, and there they were like, you know, yeah, we were influenced by like Corn, and then like that first Limp Biscuit album. They were just, they were great, and the production has a yeah. lot to raise its head about. Like Ross Robinson, especially in these early, uh, or. Like the late '90s, the early new metal era of time. Yeah, he's got a he's got some like a strong foundation he built for himself. Oh, you know? he's it, Ross Robinson is just as instrumental as the bands themselves, I would argue, and bringing this sound to prominence, the prominence that it, it is soon going to have in spades. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's good or bad, you know, <laughs> we'll let you decide. But, well, look. Because uh, some of the bands that record with him early on go on to kind of do boring things. Corn. Mm-hmm. Corn. <laughs> um, but, you know, those early albums, like, goddamn, fucking just, just incredible. So mm-hmm. much energy and um, uniqueness. And uh, he just managed to bring so much out of these bands that I don't think another producer could have, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And despite like the bands like going on to play record different albums and like maybe change their sound going forward or whatever that doesn't change the fact that he recorded like recorded <laughs> recorded some of these like early um like peak albums in their careers you know or like right. the landmark albums for them yeah um so yeah i mean 
the the first two Corn albums, the first Limbiscuit album, and then the first two Slipknot albums. Just like that's crazy. Those five albums in and first of themselves. Deftones you know? album, even though that wasn't really. Wait, did he? Oh, he just did like one song on that. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. I think that was Terry Date. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Terry Date was involved in this album, was he not? In this one? Because uh, Durst name checks him. Maybe, maybe he was just in. It just helped them out in some way. Could be. This is may not have produced it, or maybe mixed it, or something. This is around the time where every once in a while you'd see like on a uh, like no. a single or something, there'd be like a Terry Date mix of something. So right. maybe he was like mixing albums. Or I think he did the. Something. I think he did the next album. Maybe, maybe is that uh, he did th- uh, not not three dollar bill y'all. Um, uh, significant other maybe. Does that sound right? It does sound right to me. Let's see. Producer Ross Robinson for this one, for $3 bill, y'all. And then for the next album, Terry Date. Yep. Okay. Uh, Significant Other. Okay. That that makes sense. That's why. Okay. Yeah, because I always think of Ross Robinson and Terry Date, like, as the guys that that, uh, were uh, very influential in in the whole scene. Oh, Terry Date produced Chocolate Starfish. Yeah, that's right. Flavored Water as well. Didn't Ross Robinson do Unquestionable Truth? I believe so. Let's because the out. vocals definitely sound a lot more raw than uh, than the Terry Date stuff. Uh, oh boy, I've I've never thought to look this up. I don't even think about this album. But results may vary. The album they oh, they yeah? put together when West left, uh, produced by Terry Date, Fred Durst, Rick Rubin. So I bet it's probably what? like different tracks throughout that album because it's. From my memory, it was a very uh, inconsistent album. I cannot believe Rick Rubin was involved in that album. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, Ross Robinson, yeah, he did The Unquestionable Truth Part 1. Part 2, still around the corner, (laughs) I'm sure. Oh, man. Yeah. No, that makes sense because uh, Unquestionable Truth was a lot more raw than uh, Significant Other and Chocolate Starfish, so Mm -hmm. it makes total sense. Yeah. It's a good album. I really, really, really dig that album. Underrated. Very underrated. It was almost um, no promotion for it. It was like, it just kind of came out and most people didn't even realize it had come out. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, like you said, no promotion. It was just like, if you know, you know. And then they did that on there. purpose, so they wanted to do no promotion. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if that's the best thing when you finally get your guitar back, guitarist back to just not promote your next album. Like You're returning to a sound that kind of made you famous, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. Old producer, old guitarist. You know, yeah. trying to get things back on track, and then uh, yeah, nothing came from it. It's but. funny because I see, I see, uh, I follow both Ross Robinson and Wes Borland on Instagram, and oh. uh, they ride they ride mountain bikes together a lot. They're both oh, big mountain that's bikers. Cute. That's so cute. Mm-hmm. But I love that uh, that Ross keeps up with them. Hey, maybe hey, maybe if Wes like Ross Robinson, he'll like me. Maybe you can just Russ. like reintegrate or integrate yourself into his life and be like. Oh, yeah, I'm Ross Robinson. That's what I look like now. Yeah, doi. Yeah. <laughs> doi. <laughs> All right. Um, so, new metal is is really, it's on the, it's, I think it's kind of solidified with this album. And it's on an upswing. It is, a, it's it's coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm coming up, so you better get that pot that's not in. New metal. New, new metal. metal. Um yeah, so I think we're in agreement. You know, yeah. we've got. Uh, I think the intro is the new thing that this album brings to the landscape of new metal. Otherwise, yeah. they've just what an outro. I mean, guys, this is this is an yeah. outro. It's not a song, quote unquote. I mean, I guess it is. But yeah, yeah, we've we've mentioned before. Like, if you're listening to an album and like every track leading up to the very last song rules, 
I'm, yeah. I'm willing to grant some leeway to the last one, especially since sure. this is just like a jam session. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this is almost like a separate thing to me. Sure. You know, I'm never going to like seek out the song to listen to. Yeah. But it's kind of fun to listen to if you're listening, you know, for this podcast and right. then like, you know, just listen through the If you're at work and you got on your headphones, like, mm-hmm. and it comes on, it's just a, it's a little ambience thing. Yeah. Kind of going on. Background noise. I appreciate it. Um, well, listener, if you would uh, like to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, you can at nudistpod. You can email us nudistpod at gmail.com and you can check out the Nudist Colony Spotify playlist. There's a link for that in the show notes of this very episode so you can just go check that out and uh, you'll get a sneak peek at what we're discussing on the next episode of Nudist Colony. Coming up. Ross, uh, do you know what the next album that we're going to be discussing is? I do not know what the next album is. This is an album I have never listened to all the way through. I've listened to the follow-up album, but this one is a self-titled album. Okay. By, we're essentially going to stay in the world of the hip-hop metal of it all, the rap metal of it all. We're going to talk about the self-titled album from Head P.E. You know, I was almost going to say Head P.E. Okay. I've never never listened to that one. I listened to Broke, which is their sophomore album uh, back in the day, but yeah. never their first one. So this will be uh, a fun exploration, maybe. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious because I have mixed feelings about Head P.E. Yeah. Uh, as people. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. The lead singer says some really insane dumb shit. Like, he's like a flat earther fucking... I'll do some research on it, but he okay. said some fucking... I think he like kind of said some pro Trumpy stuff at one point, maybe. Really? Yeah. Damn. Some, which you wouldn't expect, but yeah, he's gone off into some bizarre fucking. Oh boy. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that carpet. Uh, the the. God, I can't think. Uh, carpet diem. Carpenter, the uh, guitarist for Limp. Uh, fuck. Stephen Carpenter. Stephen Carpenter, Carpenter for Steph Deftones. Carp- yeah. Um, it's that realm of like stoner fucking uh, conspiracy yeah. dumbass mm-hmm. shit. So, but maybe I, I think probably his early stuff isn't as problematic. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. I was going to say retarded, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that. I don't say that word anymore. I don't know why, but like the in nostalgia the, and 11 o'clock at night popped into my head. It just, I'm sorry. <laughs> the literal act of, retarding the progress of something yes, is that's what, what you I meant. meant. Not, yes. You're not disparaging no, uh, no. people with uh, no. mental handicaps. No. Right. I don't say that word anymore except for this time that I just did. <laughs> yeah. Except for just then and that was yeah, like, I, it was fine. We're all happy. put out into the world where anyone can listen to it. <laughs> no one will listen to it. I'm telling you, it's okay. the code of silence. Woo. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. So yes, on the next episode of uh, <clears throat> uh, Nudist Colony, uh, we're going to... <laughs> I was wondering when that Holy would happen. Holy shit. Uh, We've been talking for three hours. <laughs> I know. I know. Sorry, this is a short one, everyone. Uh, Head P.E. Uh, by Head P.E. And again, it's in the uh, Nudist Colony Spotify playlist uh, that you check out right now. Check it out. All right. Ross, do you have anything else you want to say? Do you want to get us over Let's... this 11-minute hump to three hours? We're not going to. I'm, I'm cutting it off before okay, that. Okay, good. Yeah, cut it off um, like a turd, brother. Hell yeah, because dude. Because if you want me to any longer like I tell my wife she wants me to last any longer I tell her to get fucked
We're done. N-D-C. Fantastic. Uh, bye.